1: the betfair exchange more ways to bet more ways to win proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast
2: the final furlong podcast is proudly brought to you by attheraces.com the ultimate online resource for racing fans welcome along to the weekend review on the final furlong podcast i'm your host emish kennedy alongside final furlong podcast legend mr rory de Largi. good
1: afternoon slash evening slash morning depending on when you're listening
2: Didn't see you on Saturday, so on behalf of the listeners, do we take it then that the trousers just didn't fit? Uh,
1: It's it's either either a diet or a a new suit, I think, uh, for gentlemen.
2: One or possibly the other. Maybe we'll get Betfair to open a market on that one. Speaking of Betfair, their main man, he was there at Ascot on Saturday but was too busy for me. It's Mr. Barry Orr. Hello there. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Great to have you on. Are you well?
0: I'm great, copacetic to be on this show this evening, (laughs) this morning, this afternoon.
2: Uh, How did you enjoy Ascot on Saturday? I know you had to leave before our preview, but the day itself, the weather wasn't great, but the atmosphere was incredible at Ascot.
0: And it always is, yeah, but it was even more so this year with surname uh, going back to defend his crown. Uh, Atmosphere, the weather kind of tried to dampen it a bit, but I don't think it, it, it did really, I suppose, the only thing that put a dampener on the day was the last fence exit for both traffic fluid and more so surname. But that also brought the agony of National Hunt Racing, but then the ecstasy when the, the horse stood up and and walked back somewhat gingerly, it may maybe said, but well, walked back to the, to the unsaddling enclosure.
2: Well, let's start with that race first of all, so as part of our weekend review. And while the winner will definitely get the plaudits that he deserves understandably we will start with surname he was a long odds-on favorite 4 to 11 in old money barry I, I suspect a lot of people were thinking this is a case of buying money uh, with the greatest of respect to riders of the storm but he was in trouble before he took that fall how did the market play out on the bet exchange
0: well he certainly was in trouble that goes without saying yeah i he hit a low of one to four in running on the bet for exchange um yeah, traffic Fluid hit a low of 107, which is 14 to 1 on for over 500 quid. He had a bet SP of 67 to 1. In the winner, riders on the Storm, a high of 12.5, a little over 11 to 1. He had a bet SP of 5.39, just nearly 9 to 2. And I suppose that the the riders on the Storm, it's a good performance from him. We'll have bottomed the out going to Cheltenham. Uh, for the Ryanair, he's he's has been as much as low as four to one on the Betfair exchange for the Ryanair as high as sixteen to one, but he's settled now at around a ten to one mark. He just he's drifted out a little from the initial reaction of him winning that. I think on reflection, people are saying, or rightly I suppose, thinking that he's had a hard race there, and that could that could prove to show in uh, in Cheltenham in just three weeks' time.
2: Interesting how recency bias can result in a horse trading so low for such a competitive race at Cheltenham that he'd go as short as 4.0 for the Ryanair. Um, Seeing as you and I were both there, the reaction to surname taking that fall was pretty brutal. I was up in the panoramic restaurant getting ready for the Cheltenham preview, and you've got that that lovely um, kind of French-style windows that open out, and you can go out to the balcony, and the whole place was buzzing. And then it just fell silent when Traffic Fluid and Surname fell. And as the screens went up all around Surname, um, it didn't look good and the atmosphere was gone. Like it it just, you feared the worst. You could see Alice go out at one stage to try and talk to Harry Cobden and he didn't really want to. You could see the connections of Surname break down in tears. Um, I rang Jess and, and was talking to her about it. And the next thing you hear this massive round of applause and you're like, no way. And uh, Jess rang me and all she, all she was saying was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And the whole place just exploded. It was phenomenal. I I suspect, as you were alluding to off air, that Peter would have been making the absolute most of this if if the the worst had come to fruition. But... It just goes to show you and Paul was saying this as well the love for national hunt racing and the love for national hunt horses because Traffic Fluid obviously got a a huge round of applause when he got up but Riders in the Storm's connections were being handed the trophies and nobody was even looking at them everybody was looking at surname and cheering him on when he stood to his feet
0: rightly so in that the round of applause he got he's he's a horse that in Ascot in particular seems to have a very strong following for a very good reason is that he all his best performances has been around the track and there's a lot of of people that only get to see him when he actually races in ascot uh, people from that greater london area and he has a big following like i say and that was reflected but you don't need to even follow the horse or have an emotional connection to him to cheer on when they get up like that i think that could be any horse really and especially when it's just in front of the stands like that where it grabs everyone and and everyone's on tender hooks looking to see do they rise to their feet those warriors and I think any horse would have got that round of applause and that reaction, but even more so to likes a surname when he is so, so high profile. And and when you think of what it could have cost racing to, to lose him on, on the battlefield like that, it would have been just dreadful. But thankfully, he lives to fight another day and we get to enjoy him another day.
2: Thank God. Uh, we won't see him again until next season. Sore and stiff. He was very, very winded, which is why he stayed down for so long, is what Paul Nichols was telling us during the preview. He was the first horse that we talked about for obvious reasons. Um, He feels that he's not quite right, that it's either mental or physical, that something isn't quite clicking with him. Um, And in terms of the connection, he trended number one on Twitter, which was incredible. And Ivor, who's been a longtime listener to the podcast and tends to listen to the show while walking his dog, was saying to me that one of his best friends was in touch with him and that his wife, who knows nothing about racing, was in tears watching Surname on the Ground and then tears of joy watching him get up. It was quite an emotional day, Rory. Uh, we should talk about Nigel Tristan Davis and Sam Tristan Davis with Riders in the Storm because Paul Nichols, interestingly enough, in the preview was very dismissive of his chances in the Ryanair. Uh, because he said he's had too hard a race here. What was your impression of him? Because Surname clearly wasn't showing what he can do. That swagger wasn't there. But Riders in the Storm has ultimately beaten Janika by 14 lengths. Does he deserve to be 10-1 to 1 for the Ryanair?
1: Um, it's, it's not an easy call, to be honest. I mean, he certainly deserves to to get a, a lot of credit um, for the improvement he's made this season since joining Nigel Twiston-Davis. Um this is not an easy race to um to weigh up because um twist and Davis was very keen that Suriname wasn't able to get his own way in front from halfway. And they've really upped the um up the tempo with the race at that stage and, and uh, got Janika in a little bit of trouble. I thought um um, I thought Traffic Fluid was very well written The way the race panned out, he was he was ridden to pick up the pieces essentially, and he and he very very nearly did that. Um, whereas um, Riders in the Storm and and Cernium were, you know, ridden to do damage to each other, if you like, um, and that's very much how how it panned out. Um, giving surname an easy lead, as we've seen in the past, is, is not a wise move for other jockeys. Um, going as fast as they did in the middle section of this race was not a not um, great tactics all round. But if if you're in a match. Um, you've got to do something to um, to unsettle your opponent. and I thought um, Sam and Davis did that very well but you know his horse was getting very tired at the time but in fairness he was um, he was holding them together well and you know when he needed a decent jump at the last he found one whereas uh, Josh Moore said that um, coming to the last Traffic Fluid who looked like he was going to pick up the pieces as I said um, because as the others slowed he stayed on at the same pace but he said just a stride or so from the from the fence he felt very tired and he didn't see his stride and that's why he came down and he felt that maybe um, while looking at the replay it looked inevitable that he was going to get to the front I think um, the winner might have found a little bit more the way the race panned out and he certainly deserves credit for that but this was a really damaging race um, and, you know, we've already talked about whether the, uh, the 1966 chase, or 1965 chase, rather, um, earlier in the season, bottomed both of the runners in that, um, and you'd have to have similar concerns about this. Uh, it's, it's a race that's thrown up um, winners of the Ryanair in the past, um, cue cards, um, certainly took both, but it wouldn't be the ideal prep, and that's, that's something you've got to bear in mind for anything running over the weekend. A lot of horses needed a run at this point. Um, either to get qualified for Cheltenham or because they needed a prep race and trainers were running out of opportunities. Uh, and then the question you have to have with that is, is whether having a prep in those conditions um, did a little bit of damage as well as the, the inevitable good that you would get out of a run. So uh, that's an obvious um, issue for riders in the storm. Particularly, I think, when you look at how his, how his form went last um, spring, he was very promising as a novice for Tom Taff. Uh, he then fell um, in the Close Brothers, uh, the Novices handicap chase, um, and then he pulled up next time out as well. So we just, you know, a hard season seemed to take its toll on him in the spring, and um, the question is whether new connections can get him through that kind of bump. Um, so I wouldn't be rushing out to back him, but you know, he's 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 there on merit to a degree. Yeah,
0: I suppose it's worth noting as well, though it's a 155,000-pound race. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's, that's a very good point. As a stepping stone, like I think any owner on the way would be happy to win £155,000 grade one in Ascot. Um, and I don't know whether the owners are even going to go to Cheltenham now, or if they do, they go there in the full, in the knowledge that they have one of the most improved horses. But he's already landed that big pot, and I'd say anything now is going to be a bonus for, for the rest of yeah, the Yeah,
1: we shouldn't be thinking of this as, as purely a Ryanair prep. I'm um, yeah. obviously answering the question as as uh, thrown um, out by Emmett about whether um, he's he's value for his Cheltenham target. But yeah, this is not. We shouldn't be looking at at, at meetings like this as just stepping stones to Cheltenham. This is uh, this is one of the, the biggest races in the calendar, uh, and it's often for horses who you know who would be seen to best effect away from Cheltenham anyway. Um, Ascot and Cheltenham very much chalk and cheese. Um, so, uh, Riders in the Storm doesn't have to go to to Cheltenham to prove himself. He's got his great one win. His connections are, are thoroughly justified, and you know they might want to give him a break.
2: Three wins now from three starts for current connections, which is quite something, really, for the Tristan Davis team. And um, just by virtue of how the race worked out, ninety-seven thousand pounds. Nearly £98,000 in prize money to Riders in the Storm just for this race. So, Barry, that's a good point. They've they've walked away with a huge pot.
0: It's, it's, a, it's a decent pot for them for sure, you know, and they've they've got good pots throughout the season as well. You know, you'd have to say it's probably the best-bought horse, national hunt horse this year. It must have been considered to have uh, real problems ahead of being sold out at and They don't seem to have materialised under the guidance of Nigel Twist and Dames. It
2: was... Uh, Mrs. Paul Shanahan, Mrs. John Magner, and Justin Carthy, until November 2019.
0: Wow, that's some that's some treble of brains. So. It really <laughs> it is.
2: It's quite remarkable what Tristan Davis has done. So, because as you say, they wouldn't sell a horse unless they they felt well, he's tapped out. Let's let's move on. Tristan they Davis didn't finds need the, the 55
0: key. Grand anyway, well, they sure. certainly
2: they certainly don't need that. They'd find that down the back of the recliner chair. Let, them, let alone the sofa. The Sedexo Reynolds Town Novices Chase, the Grade Two, was won in unbelievable style, really, by John Johnniego Junior. And yet again, that man Colin Tissard, Copperhead, a Suleimani, really bred for the job, comes away uh, clear to win the Reynolds Town Chase, 17 lengths from Two for Gold. Danny Wisbaum back in third. Pim, it did not go its plan, and the same can be said about Sam Brown as well. Both of those horses pulled up. Uh, market reaction for Cheltenham, but also for the race itself. Barry on the Betfair Exchange.
0: I suppose the story of the race was that was the pulling up of Sam Brown, who ended up two to one favored and 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 Pim, who also pulled up. The ground just. Seemed to be really against them. And Alaska Mix, we saw come down. Danny Whizbang, two for gold, ran his, ran his usual strong race. I wonder what he'd be considered for the four miler, but Copperhead, yeah, it was a really good performance again on on, on very bad ground. He'd uh, a BSP of 8.8, just nearly uh, 8 to 1, and uh, he traded in play at a high of 8 to 1 on the exchange as well. So, good ride from John Joe O'Neill Jr., and a nice performance from the winner, but again, it's as with any horse that raced the Ascot on Saturday, if they're talking about going to the Cheltenham uh, Festival with him, I just, I wouldn't be rushing into back any of them at this stage.
2: I think we need to learn a little bit more, as Barry says, Rory. But that being said, if you push me right now, I would go National Hunt Chase for Copperhead. I'd say he's he's made for that. But what about your thoughts, though, with a view to Cheltenham? Uh, yeah, well,
1: I think I think National Hunt Chase is where. Um uh, Colin has a has a soft spot for the race. Um but he's also had some um, slightly un, unhappy memories of it as well, in that he ran Native River in the race a few years ago and he went to the trouble of booking Derek O'Connor for the ride, only for Derek to uh, to jump off and ride Manila Rocco instead. Um so Colin was left with you know he was left with his own amateur in the race. Um, when you'd like to think of a horse at needed a river he could have had his choice of, of a load he thought he was guaranteed to get the man he wanted um, five or six weeks before the race uh, and then and then, well when JP comes calling um, it's not easy to say no and I think that, that probably makes him a little bit shy and he mentioned this in the post-race interview as well at the weekend it makes him a little bit shy of trying to book someone for the race because he's you know he realizes that um, you might well get uh, get a few Irish jockeys who are keen to ride your horse in the National Hunt chase, but they've also got the fingers crossed behind their back in case something better comes along. I don't think there are many better than him in the race, quite frankly. Um, and I think, uh, obviously, um, uh, Ben Polling got Jamie Codd to ride uh, the winner of the race last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think making a, making a move for Jamie Codd now would be successful. Uh, when you consider who the other contenders are in the race at this stage and who might be um, jogged up for those horses i think you get jimmy um and so uh, if he asked the question um he'd probably get the right answer this is a horse he's one over three and a quarter miles already he's only a six year old colin obviously aware of that as well but of course native river was also six when he ran in the national hunt chase and it's not like it held him back in his career is it so Absolutely. yeah, I think I think Colin, you know, might well edge towards the longer race. Of course, it's not the four mile now, it's the three round six, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, it's gonna get, it's gonna take us a while to get used to that. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, I'd like to see him in that because you know he was my idea. I think I've put him up in the um in the Weatherby's guide as the an outsider on the first day, uh, which he would have been prior to this race. I think the. Uh, uh, the price has contracted a fair bit since then, but yeah, he really impressed me. Um, his win, canton win, worked out pretty well, and then he went to to Newbury, um, and absolutely dotted up in the Mandarin. Another Mandarin is not the race it used to be. It used to be a Gold Cup trial back in the good old days, uh, named after a Gold Cup winner as well. Um, it's only a knot to one one two five these days, uh, but he was hugely impressive. His, his rider had to take a pull between the last two fences because he was going so well, um, and he was able even after that to sprint clear. Um, on the run for home the question a few people asked going into this race was you know whether he'd find anything off the bridle which is a strange thing to say this is a horse you'll find all day um, I'm not sure whether you were, are you suggesting that Suleimani is a slightly odds um, sire for, for a top last day in Chaser or um, genuinely um, appreciative of the breeding
2: of it Oh pure sarcasm that the Arlington Million the Arlington Million winner given it in the stewards room and booed by the American crowd when, when Dunso was uh, is now producing National Hunt Winners. He he's producing National Hunt winners by the bucket load, to be fair.
1: He's the Grand National Winners so of the Money, so yeah. um, he's uh, he's alright. Um yeah, so I I have got no no problem with Copperhead. He's bred to stay on the damn side. Again, it's a slightly odd pedigree Um, In that he's out of a josser algorithm and that's not a a stallion you'd expect to see in too many top-class jumps pedigrees. But the dam stayed very well. Um, He is clearly all about stamina. He's thoroughly unexposed as well. Um, Unlike most who sort of have that point-to-point background, he ran in bumpers um, without um, experience and looked slow. Uh, he started off over hurdles over two miles and again looked, looked slow and fairly moderate. And the handicapper made the mistake of thinking he wasn't much good and given uh, his opening mark was a, was a mark just north of a hundred uh, and he's just turned, he's made that look absolutely ridiculous since he's won every start in handicaps um, and he's proved himself a proper grade two horse. He was getting weight all right, it has to be said here, and um, that needs to be borne in mind. But he was very strong again um, in, at, at the finish of the race and I thought unlike a lot of horses on the day, he finished fresh. Um, surprisingly so for the conditions and um, the longer, the further he goes the happier he'll be as well so I'd be very happy to throw him into the uh, into the National Hunt Chase on the chase
2: day. So as you explained Colin did go into detail about the jockey bookings for the National Hunt Chase he was also saying that the RSA is definitely an option now and as you've also alluded to so that we're not contradicting ourselves based on what we had to say about Riders in the Storms race um, the fact that he has finished this race fresh and he's six years of age you wouldn't have as much of a concern for Cheltenham, no matter where it is that Colin decides to go, whether it's the National Chase or the RSA,
1: he's run he's run from the third last fence a lot faster, despite this you know this being a longer race um, than they did in the um, uh, in the Ascot Chase later in the day. Um, so it was a race that was run um, in in keeping with the the trip. Um, whereas, you know, the Ascot Chase, they went very hard in the middle part of that because, you know, it turned into a battle between the main two and that left um, the winner pretty tired. And although clearly most of these were tired at the end of the day, I thought Copperhead finished it um, surprisingly sprightly.
2: Barry, what would you do if he's your horse? Do you go RSA or National Hunt Chase?
0: I'd nearly give Cheltenham a miss if he was my horse. I'd just have a bit of patience and wait for entry with him. But uh... If connections are keen to go there it'd probably be the four miler for me
2: Barry being patient and skipping Cheltenham are you mad Uh, but fair play Uh, you were tweeted Barry about showing the odds for the racing on Saturday and one of our listeners tweeted you to say hey what's on your bet slip to which I said come on Barry spill the beans it was Sporting John Very sporting of you to tell us. He ends up as one of the most impressive winners of the weekend, I would think, in the Thames Materials Novices Hurdle. Uh, This was the 115 at Ascot. He's a horse that we've been wanting to see for a while, representing JP, Philip Hobbs, and Barry Geraghty. While Colin Tizard's horse was a little bit disappointing, he has won very, very impressively. Bit of a battle between the two of them on the for Exchange beforehand. And what direction was the money going in with a view to Cheltenham?
0: On the day, Master Debonair went off favourite on the Exchange 2.14, just ahead of the winner. at It was 2.66. I think Master Debonair, I don't think he was disappointed. I think he's ran his race. He He went out to try to make all. He did jump left again, just as he had done the previous time in Ascot, and when he was headed, there was absolutely nothing there. Pipe Smokers ran well, the maiden, but Sporting John for me, like I said, there's not a lot of horses that I'd consider for Cheltenham off the back of having a hard race. I don't think he had a hard race. I've never seen a horse to jump out of the ground at the last like he did after going nearly two and a half miles. I was really, really impressed with him. He's a horse that's blown me away a couple of times in Exeter. He traded to one the first day he won in Exeter in running on the Beffer Exchange, and he came from such an unlikely position to get up that day. Uh, he franked the form again since and, and and on Saturday he just like I said he just blew me away uh, the, the way he travelled the way Barry Garrity was able to just give him a little kick in the belly and get back sides. Master Debonair was a little bit of jockeying for positions turning into the straight he was able to go everywhere Barry pointed him he went and uh, he's ran away he's only a five year old and he's ran away from him at the finish he's six and a half lengths winner and a further six lengths back to Master Debonair I think that form's going to hold up and uh, he's a horse that really is really exciting. The only thing for him, though, is obviously they've Chantry House in the Supreme. Mm-hmm. So do they go Ballymore and take on Envoy Allen. It looks like that's the route they're going to have to take because I can't see them stepping him up to three miles at this stage. He was uh, I think he's around 16 or 14 to one chance for the uh, Ballymore um, before the race. And he's about a, a 12 to one chance now on the Betford Exchange. So, yeah, an exciting horse and a lot to look forward to with him, the son of Getaway.
2: And Philip Hobbs was keen to point that out as well, that Barry Garrity was saying to him in the post-race analysis that you can basically do whatever you want with him. He's got pace for the Supreme. He's got pace and stamina for the Ballymore. So it's up to you. It'll essentially then come down to Frankie Tightlips and what it is they want to do with, with Chantry House, assuming they get there safe, sound, fit, and well. I can't not call him that. Sorry, Barry. It's it stuck in my head. Um, you're probably right about Master Debonair, by the way. And it could be an overreaction. I'm just seeing it here. His price has gone out to... 34.0 on the exchange, 33s. That might be an overreaction, possibly. Um, but Rory, your thoughts on Sporting Johnny's horse that we've talked about quite a bit, unbeaten in his point to and two races at Exeter, steps onto the big stage at Ascot. and I watched this race with Rixie in the media room, and we were both blown away by him. I was hugely impressed by what he did.
1: Yeah, he, he was really impressive. And as, as Barry said, he looked um, uh, as in both his runs um, prior to this. It, he looks like there's an awful lot left in the tank. Um, he caught a lot of eyes. Um, those judges who, who like looking at, some, at Exeter novice hurdles, um, he give them he give them plenty of head start on his debut um, at Exeter um, when uh, at the, particularly that time of year, particularly in the grind he was on. You you don't want to race too wide, I and mean, when it gets very heavy at Exeter, maybe you can, but. Um, uh, keeping close to the to the inside rail, um, it tends to be a big advantage there. And by definition, getting handy to do that is is really important as well. And he managed to uh, to give up that kind of advantage when winning on his debut. And a lot of people thought he was a better than the bare form. It looked a decent race as well. The second race he ran in extra was a, was a poor contest, and he was hard held throughout that to win easily. Um, and then it was just a case of um, where he was going to turn up next, and and you know what his eventual target might be. Um he looks like he's got all the gears for two miles to me. i have no issue at all with him running in the Supreme. It obviously is a pretty warm contest. Uh Nicky Henderson was not um committing Chantry House to that race um when we talked to him yesterday at his media day pre pre Cheltenham. Um he gives the impression he genuinely doesn't know where where Chantry House will go. Again, you know, you get the impression that that'll be very much um JP's call, or indeed Frank Berry's call, um, and you know we'll see. I mean, there was half a chance. People were thinking maybe they're trying to get Sporting John qualified for a handicap, and then you know look for a massive touch on the county hurdle. Oi oi. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, you yeah, know he, he's clearly a grade one horse. It was a really good performance. You've got to put it in some context that you know it was it was not a an especially deep race. But I like Master Devonair as a performer. Um, he ran his race up to a point. I don't think I, I was surprised to see him stepping up and trip on that ground um, because for me he does not want a yard beyond two miles master debonair uh, and he's obviously on uh, heavy ground in Asuka his last couple of starts but I think he would again be a lot happier I think he'd jump better at a good ground and I think just sort of skipping along on, on top of the ground would suit him a lot more than, um, than slogging through the mud. The question is whether this has taken anything out of him. But he looked a blatant non-stayer to me, and his jumping got a little bit scruffy uh, late on. It's worth pointing out that he actually traded a, a reasonable degree of odds on um, a fair way from home. You know, he seemed to be travelling best um, for a long way. But in fairness, that you know, there's a a degree to um, to which that is. Um, a product of his racing style, um, whereas Sporting John, um, again, you know, he's he's got a little bit to learn about jumping. But the faster he goes, the better he looks over a hurdle. And as the race warmed up, he looked better and better. So you watch it from the home turn, and he's absolutely dominant. You watch the middle part of the race, and you know, if you stop that race with with um, uh, three to jump and say who wins, you you'd get a range of answers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, Sporting John was much better on the day. Um, saw that trip pipe better. Um, but I think, again, um, with experience, I think he's got all the gears. He just needed the experience to, uh, uh, to show what he could do. And of course, you know, winning an Egg and Spoon race at extra last time, I didn't teach him an awful lot, whereas this would have, and he was ridden uh, with an eye to learning a bit more as well, settling behind the leader. So he's very exciting, um, but I'd agree with what you said there, Emmett. 33s um, and bigger about Master Debonair for the Supreme could be interesting for those who are looking to, you know, for, for an each-way bet on the race. I think, uh, in fairness, you look at the field and there are there are two or three who just look a little better than him class-wise. Um, but and he was an impressive Grade Two winner early in the season, and he does strike you as a horse who will be better in the spring as well. Um, he showed that last season too, so I could see him bouncing back either at Cheltenham or at the entry, with a big run. Perhaps without being quite good enough to win one of those races, but possibly hitting the frame at a good price.
2: There's several horses in front of him in the market who just aren't going to run.
1: You've always got to bear in mind um, with these markets what the overround is. You often look at uh, at a race like this and think, well, that's not going to run. That's not going to run. That's not going to run. So this horse who's seventh in the betting will actually be third in and must be good value. And then you realise. You know, you're by definition, because bookmakers are, are, are betting on likely non-runners, but I've got to keep them in the betting, um, you're betting to, to pick over rounds. That's not a criticism of the bookmakers. That's just the nature of these markets, particularly when we go non-runner, no-bet.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Barry, which race would you side with so for Sporting John for Shelton?
0: I, I don't think Colin Tizzer it's going to be mad to bring this one to Cheltenham. I think, again, I know he likes Aintree and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, go to something like the Doom Bar and Aintree. But if he was to go to um, to Cheltenham, I, the Supreme looks the race from the way he emptied. Now, it could be a combination in ground and trip, but uh, he has gone on the ground before, so I don't think that was an issue. But the way he kind of uh, gave best after he was headed... Uh, would indicate maybe the Supreme Novice hurl would suit them best. Um, for me, though, I think Chantry House. You're saying there, the non-committal at this stage. That that is their want. That's the M.O. for that that team, the, the green and gold. And but I think there's no bet that Shantry House will go Supreme Novice hurl and Sporting John. Like they stepped the two and a half miles in Ascot. It, it, it wasn't just to see which way the wind were blowing. They knew he get every yard of the trip. And uh, I'd say it's the
2: Ballymore for him. And to be fair, he wasn't stopping either. But the Martinstown mob, no doubt, will be in their bunker plotting the route to Cheltenham. What exactly will be the big handicap touch for the week or possibly two handicap touches for the week? And uh, where will all these novices go? We'll find out basically the week of Cheltenham, because we're not going to find out beforehand. Uh, The Kelbetre Swindley chase at Ascot, 225, went the way of Ballyoptic. He was one of two horses who came into the reckoning for the Grand National. I think it's pretty fair to say. Uh, And another huge win for Nigel and Sam Tristan Davis, this time getting the better of Valtor, uh, who, to be fair, is consistent, if a little bit frustrating. Um, What was the reaction to, um, by the way, I just I have to stop and say, for the second week in a row, Rory Delargy has moved markets, thirty-three to one into eight to one, drifting back out to tens, highly prized in the Bedford Hurdle. Red Indian, sixteen to one when put up on the final Furlong podcast, bigger in certain places, seven to two in the Swindley Chase. Now, you could have laid off for a profit on Betfair. The only thing we need is for one of these horses to actually go and win. But Rory is moving markets seriously.
1: In, in fairness in fairness, to last week, I, I've made it very clear that Red India's next two wins will be in the Topham in April and then in the, uh, the Fox Center at of uh, the, the next year or the year after that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're
1: going long term with him. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, what what we suggested the the potential issue was with him uh, last week came to bear. He doesn't want a thorough test of stamina, uh, and although he was dropping slightly in trip um, from the Peter Marsh um, with the wind and the heavy ground, this might as well have been three mile three, uh, and that very much counts against him. He ran well for a for a long way. He was again very well backed as, as he was. In the Peter Marsh, um, and um, you know he's he was disappointing on paper coming coming home six, but this was the conditions were really tough here, um, didn't suit a few of these, um, and I think you, you can probably put a line through that. The worry with him is that he's historically been been best fresh, um, so he doesn't want to be having a run in a handicap at Shelton, and he wants to be freshened up, no now and go straight to entry. I think that would suit him, um, and I know uh, Paul Ferguson who was on last week had a chat with uh, with owner and trainer uh, about thinking the injury would suit him. So we'll see if that's what they, what they um, go for. But the fact that he was a well-beaten sixth um, shouldn't take away entirely from his promise.
2: Yeah, Paul, who will be back on the podcast again soon, by the way, and um, a lot of people coming up to me on Saturday at Ascot saying how much they enjoyed his contributions and uh, looking forward to having him back on the show again soon. He did plant the seed. The inception is in place for Red wow. Indian to go to Aintree. So hopefully that plays out. Uh, he and was, we know
1: these sons of Suleimani. They love Aintree, the don't they? They
2: love Aintree, Rory. These Suleimanis, yeah. they love Aintree. Uh, good old Suleimani. I hope I did. the
1: daughters do as well for any circle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Indeed, yeah. not a bad shout. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about honeysuckle a bit later on. Actually, with the views of the champion hurdle, what was your take on on this race, and what was the the market reaction? Obviously, it was all about Red Indian, that was, seemed to be steaming into the horse blindly.
0: Yeah, well, I was we, like, obviously, Ballyoptic is the is the anti-post mover off the back of it. He had uh, matched a higher one fifty on the exchange. Uh, he's into 28 now, which is 27 to one in the Grand National market. Over 227,000 matched in the anti-post market on the Grand National, so it is quite a liquid market. Obviously, Tiger Roll, who we'll talk about later on, had started 13 to two ahead of Magic of Life and Borough Saint. But uh, yeah, Bali optic obviously, the weights for the Grand National had come out on Tuesday, so the handbrake off all these horses. I'm uh, only joking. <laughs> Ballyoptic always, always <laughs> runs his race. So um, it's good to see him win, and uh, he goes, I suppose he doesn't really act that well around the track, but he's, he's sure to go there i
2: would I would imagine so. Um, what about you, Rory? How do you rate ballet optics chances in the Grand National Have, have they increased for you now, or is, is he a horse on your radar for, for the entry showpiece?
1: Well, he, yeah. I mean, if you speak to Nigel Tristan Davis, Nigel will tell you this horse was in the process of of um of going very close in the race last year when he fell, and then you watch the race back and and you know you think he might be looking at it through rose tinted spectacles. There were plenty of horses in with a chance. With um, if you ignore Tiger Rule in the National last year with about four to jump, um, but Bally Optic, I I thought he was you know he didn't trade short in the race at all. Didn't short trade uh, not trade shorter than his, his pre race price. He is—he's um, a horse who could go well in a in a soft ground national, um, but you know he's often been his own worst enemy. Um, he was a very very high class hurdler, but he had a nasty habit of of um, tripping up um, at his hurdles, sometimes without touching them. Um, he came down twice in one season um, at the at the last hurdle um, without actually seeming to make a mistake once at Weatherby. Uh, and once in the long walk and ask it where in, in fairness, a trailing leg of another another horse might have caught him. Um, and he's been accident prone over fences as well. He jumped, largely jumped very well um, on his reappearance at Weatherby being Bad Ground. And I think he's one of those horses, like a lot of sons of Old Vic, he seems to jump a lot better when they're going slower. Um, but they can go quick enough in the National these days that the ground is good. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to touch him unless it was soft or heavy at entry. If it was soft or heavy, then he'd come into the reckoning. Um, and he's got a decent racing weight. Um, trademark. Uh, everyone talks about a de- most of the fields have got a decent racing weight in the in the Grand National as it stands. But um, given given his rating of one five seven, um, you know he gets in there with with less than 10, less than eleven stone. Uh, and for a horse who's been running in graded races for much of his life, um, that's that's very fair. But he's not a he's not a quick horse these days. He's a grinder. Um, he did he did some very good grinding here, and he, it was. Beneficial to him that he was fresh, because um, he'd had a couple of hard races in the winter. He lost his form. It uh, was disappointing in the Beecher for example. Um, but he he just needs a little bit of a break, and he's he is pretty good fresh. Um, so uh, you know you you wouldn't want to see him running at Cheltenham on the back of that. I don't think that's the plan. But I I didn't hear. I wasn't paying particular attention to what Nigel said post race.
2: Nigel, Nigel has said that they're not going to mess about straight to entry.
1: Yeah, that makes sense for him. Um, just because he's he's the kind of horse who I think he takes a bit more out of himself than it than it would appear, uh, and therefore you know two or three quick runs can take it out of him. Uh, so going to Charlton uh, going to entry rather straight away would give him a chance. But as I said, you'd only really want to touch him on soft or heavy ground.
2: I agree uh, with the view on soft and heavy ground. I think it's only fair that we then. Bring in Haydock, gentlemen, and switch to the 315 there because this also relates to the Grand National as it was the Unibet Grand National trial handicap chase. Heavy ground, so presumably you really did need a submarine uh, given Haydock's record. A smooth stepper took the race for Alex Hales and Harry Bannister, a 33 to 1 shot in Old Money uh, with Yala Enki, 19 lengths, 20 lengths back, sent off favourite for Paul Nichols and Bryony Frost. What was the reaction? Was there any in-running carnage here in this race, Barry? Um, I, to be honest about it, I only got to properly see it today uh, because I was too too focused on, on meeting Final Fourland Podcast listeners and, and just watching Ascot itself. Um, but he was a surprise winner, to be fair. But was there any, any uh, massive requests for the Grand National on Betfair uh, on the basis of this race?
0: This was probably the biggest in-running... Uh, story of Saturday across UK and Ireland, Smooth Stepper getting up to beat Lord de Misselle, um who had traded at 105, 20 to one on for over two grand. Oh my God! Uh, for um, for Richard Hobbs' horse, yeah, th- there was plenty on it, and it, my heart goes out to connections because he's won everywhere. Border line, he's only beaten a length and a half, but Smooth Stepper really grinded it out obviously he was getting 11 pounds off the the runner up he had a better SP of 55 and a half to uh 54 and a half to 1 versus an industry SP of 33 to 1 And... Um, it was just uh, he traded at three hundred and sixty in running smooth stepper. He, he really was an unlikely winner. Yeah, it was right. Barry. I've had That's a
2: number. Of, I've had a number of requests from final For- long time final forum For- podcast listeners who are very intrigued by Betfair SP that yourself Jess and Kieran have talked about it. Um, can you just explain the? what that is in, in terms of the difference on the exchange what the Bedford XSP is for new for long-time listeners of the podcast who are now making the switch to the Bedford Exchange
0: yeah so basically you can go on to the Bedford Exchange and you can take a price you can back a price you can lay a price or alternatively you can select that you want to have it a bet and put your stake in and select um, that you want to have it at the Beffer SP. And there's people on the side who will go on and choose to lay a bet at the Beffer SP. And uh, when the two are reconciled, that's when the bet, the SP is actually um, formed. Then, and you see what you get. So you're not getting a price pre race. You're not getting the price till after the race is actually finished. And the reconciliation, the reconciliation is done. Uh, as the race goes in play as well. So you can see the better SP immediately, but you don't know the price you're getting until the race goes in play.
2: Interesting. It just makes things that, it also makes things a little bit more exciting when you've backed towards the 33s, you're not entirely sure what price you're going to get, and then it comes 54 to 1, is that what you said?
0: Yeah, 54 and a half to 1. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the difference is, obviously, I think at the moment, 94% of the time, the SP the better SP is, is, is bigger than the... Uh, than the traditional industry sp so there's obviously something in that and especially with some of those outsiders if you fancy a big price one it's no harm at all having your 5 or 10 around a for sp
1: you know you're betting into the most liquid market as well uh, as obviously it's it's, it's nice to be able to to pick your price but if you fancy an outsider often um, the prices on outsiders will drift through the day uh, as there's support for for if it's a gamble or anything in the race or just support for for the favorites um, so a horse that's you know that looks at twenty to one short in the morning could easily be seventy or eighty um, bet for SP, and um, it's not like you know you're always slightly worried if you take an SP uh, with tradition, traditional traditional with the um, the the idea that prices are clipped right at the um, right at the off uh, with office money coming in, um, but you know with a bet for SP um, that you're betting I mean, what the overround is is tiny, isn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a quite and a, obviously like you say, you're betting into a liquid market as well, which makes it a, a whole lot different to traditionally people would happy enough bet a uh, bet on the tote in the win market not knowing the price. Um where in the tote markets used to be quite liquid, that was great, but now outside of the feature meetings like Cheltenham or Royal Ascot or, or Aintree or something like that, the tote is actually quite illiquid and you're not getting the same sort of value as you would on the beffer.
1: No I don't I I spent years on the uh, on the race course punting and you, you'd always look at the tote board to see which horses were were out of line um, with the general prices, and you used to be able to nab a little bit of value back in those who were who were big odds, and then you find out in the last. Um, I, I think I think it's only up again now the total in fairness. But you know, five or ten years ago, you're betting on course and you saw a horse that was even money in the ring and five to two on the total. You think it was a bit of value on the tote, You're much more likely to end up with a, an SP of, of you know a return of one point one point sixty. For your state than you were the 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 two to one or five to two that you saw just because there was no money in there and everyone else was trying to be clever and doing the same thing as you so you were actually making the price worse rather than um, taking advantage of a bit of value.
2: They have, to be fair, come out and said that they're introducing a new policy now where they're going to try and match the best SP. So we'll we'll see how that plays. Yeah, out. and in fairness, I
1: guarantee the SP. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's which is which is a, a, a very bold move. And in fairness, I I, I welcome the fact that um those are currently operating the tote are very keen to to try to bring it back to the the glory days whether that works or not i don't know but it was allowed to sort of wither on the vine for a long time and that was a real sadness because you know for for me as a punter i want to see as many options as you can have out there um the idea that you have um choice means that um you know competition is real um, and you're you're always potentially getting value um, whenever you know an operator like the tote, um, which has always been an option for on-course punters, um, you know, is on the downgrade, and that's not great for everyone all round to be perfectly honest. So it's nice it's nice that you've actually got a desire to make that competitive again, and we'll see how that pans out at Cheltenham. It should um, it should make things um, certainly very interesting for punters.
0: So yeah, I echo that. I, I definitely think that a strong tote is good for everybody involved. The- yeah, I, I, in racing and, and for punters and on the wider racing industry yeah, I think it's important that that's uh, and, and it's supported and allowed thrive and, and, and given all the all the every all the tools it needs to make that happen I think that's uh, that'll be a very positive thing for everyone involved
2: competition is good and it does appear as though that the uh, the intentions are good as well um, on the back of this Uh, Barry, so was there any interest in anything from this race then for entry on the back not
0: from this race. Now, Yala Enki just kind of stayed around the mark he was, which is around the the mid-30s. I think he's trading at 38 now at the moment, and and that's... He he wasn't far off that. Um, He goes there with every chance. One for Arthur, very disappointing. He kind of drifted out to around
1: the 70 mark. He he came back back with a heart problem from this, so you'd have to put him down as a very, very runner, so...
0: Yeah, a, a, a bit of a murmur on the heart. So, be interesting to see what happens there. I suppose, from a Grand National point of view, the focus was more on a hurdle race in Navin on Sunday than it was <clears> in a Grand National trial in Aintree on Saturday.
2: Which we shall. That's the dichotomy. Which we shall touch on um, a little bit later on as well. Uh, this so, race so a bit of a write-off then in terms of entry. Um Congratulations to the to the winners uh, with Smooth Stepper. Um, one for Arthur Rory. You've alluded to the issue that he's had so he's come back with a heart murmur he's 11 years of age now he's a grand national winner he just does not look in any way the same horse as he was since he broke my heart beating cause of causes he's been yeah he's unseated rider unseated rider finished sixth in the grand national which was respectable given he'd been off for a while fourth beyond mystery then a well-beaten fifth and pulled up here with a heart problem he's 11 years of age yeah, I,
1: I wouldn't. I wouldn't paint that all as 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 a a similar picture. he he'd been actually shaping up pretty well before this race. Obviously, it took me. He'd been out for a, a long time after the national, um, and then you know he he didn't jump well in a schooling session, and then unseated his rider a couple of times, which is very unlike him. And I suspect he's probably this issue that he's got is, was probably there before, but has been masked, and they've now picked up on it. It may well be that, that this is easy to treat. We we had all this um issue with Springer-Sacra, of course, but um if i can if i can hark back a long time ago you remember a horse called barnbrook again yeah um who won back-to-back champion chases now barnbrook again is a horse who um was diagnosed as having a fibrillating heart just like one for arthur um on his i think it was his first start back after winning the champion chase um and they had that looked at and treated and they ran him again a few weeks later he broke the course record at newbury and then went on to win the championships again. And actually, if you look back at his run in the article, you can kind of see that something goes wrong with him at halfway. He looks like he's going to finish tailed off and then ran on very strongly to be placed. And I suspect, again, he was a horse who had an on and off problem. Um, and I think a lot of the time, um, once it's diagnosed and treated, um, it's easy to deal with. Obviously, there are different heart issues, Um and, you know, a diagnosis might mean that you're told you shouldn't run the horse again. Uh, but sometimes it's just, it's just a one-off thing um, and you can, you can overcome it. So it'll be interesting to see what the diagnosis is with him. I wouldn't suggest for a second that it's all been downhill since the National. It's very hard, obviously, for a horse um, to, um, to repeat um, his success at the industry. But I thought he shaped very well last year. Um, he's always ridden uh, with exaggerated waiting tactics when Derek Fox rides him. Um, and you know, I thought he came home pretty nicely last year. He came from a very unpromising position when he won the race. Whether he's fit enough to run in it now after what happened at the weekend, I don't know. But it does explain his performance. And if they can find a solution to that fairly quickly, then he's he's maybe want, not want to write entirely. So just keep an eye on uh, on announcements from either the owners or the trainer who, who run. So i not. don't think it's Is Peter Peter Sweden was on Twitter and the yeah. owners one for Arthur on Twitter as well, so if you keep an eye on, on, on what they say, you'll you'll get an idea whether it's um, uh, throwing money down the drain, backing in for the National or whether he might just have been ruled out too early.
2: I suspect it's a case of watch and see and um, we'll have to we'll have to figure out how the whole thing plays out. As we return to Ascot and the Give the Gift of Ascot annual membership handicap hurdle. Uh, peas and carrots everywhere as I'd done the reverse forecast on Ed on the Hull and Mala, but to be fair, one of the Tony Deacon mob, who are long-time listeners to the Final Forum Podcast, since all the way back in 19 dickety do, came up to me with wads of cash, having done the uh, box exact as Barry Faulkner, friend of the podcast, calls it on Mala and Nordano. He won over a grand. Well done, sir. Well done. Nicely played. Um, didn't stop me feeling sick. 16-length winner for Nordano. This is a horse who significantly has beaten all mankind and has been beaten by all mankind and gosh, and and fairly thrashed by them as well, Barry. So, the reaction then straight away is what does this mean for for Cheltenham? What does it mean for this horse and what does it mean for those horses in the Triumphal market?
0: Yeah, I think the one thing worth noting here uh, is that he's a four-year-old and as a four-year-old he was in receipt of, of £11. He was right Racing off one two seven and getting uh, eleven pounds. So as as a four year old against the older horses, I fancied him myself. I did back him. I had a few quid and I put him up as a tip of the weekend, as the lap of the weekend. And well I was done. glad to see. I thought the step up and trip would really suit him. I, I don't know where you go here. It's it's, it's going to be tough now. Is I don't know. there's his revised rating was uh, that's uh, that's out today? But
1: he's one forty uh, revised.
0: Wow, one forty, Tony Mac. So he's gone up, what, uh, 13 pounds. Yeah. So he, he may struggle, but they could make still make A. Well, they can in some of those handicaps, like I said, as the four-year-old. But as the season gets uh, older and older, he'd get less and less of an allowance. But yeah, it was a really good performance. He enjoyed the ground. He enjoyed the step-up and trip. Everything was in his favor. Good ride for Maiden Coleman. But I'd say he's going to struggle now off that revised rating of 140. But it does forebode well. For the likes of all mankind who who ran away from them, and Goshen, who also ran away from them last day in uh, in Ascot. So, yeah, that that form's looking strong.
2: Has there been any market support for the? Have they shortened at all on the back of this?
0: No, not at all. Okay, <laughs> not at all. Not off the back of that. Like the, the it's it's quite a strong market as you can imagine. To try and for market yeah. there's, there's uh, Goshen, all mankind, a Terror, wave of the sea, and there's and the uh, Pastor, but. At the moment, I suppose Goshen favor, but I can't have him. But we'll wait and see if he's able to jump.
1: Addig- yes, it was no surprise to see him shorten up a little bit on the exchange. I mean, the first thing I did after this race was went to the um, the Betfair market for the Triumph just to see the uh, the prices disappear um, on the left-hand side for Goshen um, after this. Um, yeah, there are other aspects. You you mentioned the, the fact that... Um, the, the Juveniles are getting a fair uh, way for Asia Lions at this stage. So they've got a good record in handicaps this season as well. Um, and um, he was stepping up on trip, which has always looked like he would, it was suit. He's, um, he's a son of Jukebox Jury who stayed very well um, and he probably lacked a bit of toe over two miles. So stepping up to, to two mile three um, against the older horses with only 10 stone on his back clearly made a big difference here. And um, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you can argue that he was um he was over a stone better than his rivals on the day at the weights but i find that in these conditions um the the winning margin can be slightly exaggerated anyway and he'll find it a lot harder um uh with a handicap mark of 140 based on
2: his previous one
0: could just good be... run from the second it's worth noting
2: yeah she stayed yeah, on did. from a mile back
0: Real good run off the back of a break, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with her next.
1: Uh, I think we know where they're going with her next. <laughs> it'll be, I think it'll be a, another another go at the Imperial Cup. Yeah. Um, the only issue is that every wise guy in the country spotted her um, today, so you're not going to get any fancy prices. Um, but she's um, she's very interesting over current and no doubt about that.
2: Well, Edon De Ho had fallen at the back of the telly and somehow stayed on to be third. So I wonder, could he end up going for that race as well, given the affection the pipe team have for the imperial cup
1: uh yeah but the, uh, bear in mind this was this was um uh, two mile three on heavy and he looked like he looked done for two before staying on again late that's true uh whereas, whereas malaya was kind of she just crept into from the back of the field from a poor position he looked like he needed two and a half two mile five already so he's more likely to go um again um given the colors he races in as well i thought they, they'd want to run him uh in the um in the, the martin pipe at cheltenham
2: Yeah, possibly that'll be the race that he goes for, although I'm, as I said, at the Ascot-Cheltenham preview night, uh, my handicapper to follow is the boss's Oscar, who was confirmed for the Martin Pipe today by Gordon Elliott. So hopefully that's a good sign. Um, Neil King said after the race at Ascot in the pouring rain that there are juvenile races again at Ascot and at Newbury for them to consider uh but he will be given an entry for the boodles or fred winter at cheltenham and they just need to decide on the ground but not necessarily heading to cheltenham uh we'll switch to haydock gentlemen yeah there are, just to mention
1: that there are a couple of uh, of um uh fairly valuable juvenile handicaps um that um, that neil's referring to and it makes a lot of sense um rather than constantly um tilting at windmills uh, with horses like this you think well hold on a second the boodles is going to be the toughest race um that he could possibly run in and there are these races which have got good prize money um where if you pick and choose them a little bit you've got a much better chance of winning so um, that's an interesting approach
2: and staying with juveniles the unibed victor ludrum juvenile hurdled 240 at haydock went the way of sir psycho for paul nichols he was sitting beside jess stafford who had her laptop open and as we were talking about juvenile hurdlers and the performances of the day his eyebrows started to... Ra- I could see his eyebrow raising and his eyes squinting as he saw 24.0 about Sir Psycho. And uh, immediately he says, that's too big. That's too big a price for the Triumph Fertil. Um, what was the reaction subsequently after the Cheltenham Preview night, the final furlong Betfair, Ascot, Cheltenham Preview night without the races, and uh, also the reaction after this race because he's fairly bolted up for the Nichols team, Barry.
0: Yeah, Paul put him up as uh, as his best uh, chance of the weekend, I and mean, he, duly obliged, didn't he? A better SP of two point one two, a little over eleven to ten. He was, he had been, I think, around the forty mark for the triumph on the exchange. Off the back of that, I think he he was chopped into around twelve and fourteen, around that mark. His last traded price on the exchange has been fourteen. He was also introduced to the Boodles market uh, at around the sixteen to one mark on the on the sports book, but. Yeah, an impressive winner. He's he's uh, he's definitely on the right road. Another horse that seemed to relish the conditions up in Haydock, and be interesting to see. I think Paul. I'm not sure whether they'll go try and find route with him. They'll wait and see. Uh, the makeup of the Boodles, I'm sure, near the time. But it's a, it's a tricky one where to go from. I wouldn't be surprised either if they were to give Cheltenham a miss altogether.
2: I, I thought the fact that he was so surprised, he was such a big price for the triumph. Now, bear in mind, it's very recent and you have to plot and plan things afterwards, but it did seem as though he wasn't averse to the idea of going to the Triumph. He does have Solo, who Jess has mentioned on this podcast before, and he will make his debut in the Adonis Hurdle at Kempton at the weekend. So uh, the one word of note that he made about him is the fact that he could be um, a little bit like uh, a typical... French horse in that maybe he's going to have a little bit like Pictori he might need a little bit of time to develop but
0: um, he, uh, he, he has been oh. wax and lyrical about solo so he has
2: been yeah. talking to everybody about this horse so and the fact that he started I mean that was the point I made to him was you started Zarkander in that race and that worked out pretty well and he kind of had a little bit of a grin on his face when I said that. so we'll we'll see. Maybe he's just trying to play it down now. Um, but in terms of this performance, Rory, where do you rank this in terms of the juveniles that we've seen so far?
1: Uh, it, it's not easy to rank the juveniles, I have to say, but he's not far behind in terms of official ratings, and that's probably a fair way to, to try to lump them together at this stage. Um the handicap were put up to one four seven for this. I think he was one was he one, three, seven going into it? certainly in the in the sort of mid one thirties anyway, but up to one four seven, which puts him four pounds behind Goshen. And I think given that, Paul Nichols will uh would be keen enough to go triumph with him if um uh you know depending on what happens to Solo obviously. But I think on that he would if you've got a horse who's rated close to one fifty and a triumph hurdler looks there for the winning I can't see someone like Paul Nichols wanting to go the handicap route. Um Unless he's unless he's hugely confident uh, about his other runner in the race, but I think he'd fancy his chances against Goshen. Uh, he's,
2: so he's, that kind of he did seem to be quite keen to go for the triumph. But like I said, yeah. there's a lot of water to be passed under the bridge. First of all, Bryony Frost was he's, he's got Mick Pasture
1: in there as well. But I'm although Mick Pastor was impressive at um, at Ludlow last time right? he's um, he's very much by a speed influence. Mm. Um and I think that's given that he was disappointing at Cheltenham on his on his debut for Paul, um he's clearly he's clearly um, got a, a lot of ability, um, granted a flat track. Um but I think if it came down to a choice between this filler and and um Mick Pastor, uh, I think Paul would probably prefer Sir Cycle as well. Um but again we'll we'll see. Um Mick Pastor is obviously a JP horse. Frankie um, so,
2: tight lips will prevent any information know, getting out.
1: We know how that will mm-hmm. that pan out, yeah. um, so uh, watch this space, but whatever, you know, given give what Paul has for the race, uh, where he decides to deploy those runners is going to be interesting for punters.
2: And he's got a damn good record in the drawing portal as well, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Do we have- Yeah, and the one thing, just before
1: before you move on, it's worth just saying that Sir Psycho has looked very, very good on heavy ground. He hasn't lit the same horse so far on a quicker surface. Um, so he may well be ground dependent. Or then again, he may, you know, it may just be a matter of him acclimatizing uh, as well, because he's been impressive in his last two starts, and they've happened to be on heavy ground, but he handles it well.
2: Proceed with caution. The World's End ended up being pulled up in the Unibet Rendlesham hurdle at Haydock, uh, but it didn't stop us having an impressive winner. Warren Greatrix was speaking to Gina Bryce on Sky Sports Racing today. We're recording on Tuesday. It's just after 6 p.m. now, and uh, waxing lyrical about this horse. Gavin Sheen doing the same as well. Emmett is this a genuine contender to Paisley Park, Barry Orr? What's the market saying?
0: At the moment he's 12 to 1 or 11 to 1 12.5 uh, against paisley park second favorite he's clear second favorite off the back of that win in the Rendlesham uh, world's end i suppose very disappointing in the race 4.7 in running when there was a bit of trouble on the bend epipom uh beffer sp at 2.96 just under 2 to 1 he had been a 50 to 1 chance before on the sports book, um, but obviously off the back of that, trimmed in significantly into twelve to one. Like I say, he's twelve to one now on the sports book. Behind uh, odds on a chance, Paisley Park is one eight zero, which is four to five.
2: He's a six-year-old. He's obviously a very improving horse, and Warren Greatrix is not afraid to talk him up either. They're they're kind of fingers crossed with him. But how impressed were you with him? And is he a genuine player against Paisley Park now in, in the stairs?
0: I I still think he's got a lot to prove. It was a good performance, uh, grade two. He won eight lengths. The world's end didn't really perform at all, ended up pulling up. And he's, uh, Donna's Diamond, She, an 11-year-old who we hadn't seen for for nearly a year. So I, I, I think the way some of the other runners in the race performed I think he's done what you'd probably uh, you'd probably expect him to do considering he was a seven to four favourite in the race. I wouldn't be going overboard um looking to him as a possible alternative to Paisley Park in the uh, in the stairs hurdle. Um, it's a race that it's hard to, to even try to guess the final makeup of the stairs hurdle. One thing you know for sure Paisley Park's gonna be there and it's gonna go off odds on, on the day. Epi Tom, I wouldn't read too much into that form on Saturday.
2: He did, to be fair, uh, ahead of New Year's Day. Rory have a, a very interrupted preparation. He had a, a hawk infection in the autumn. Uh, things hadn't gone smoothly for him at all. He's left that form miles behind. But as Barry says, is it just a little bit too much that he has to find to bridge the gap between him and Paisley Park?
1: Yeah, Barry's absolutely right to, to point out that this was this was uh, probably a weak grade two uh, with the world's end not performing. Um, Having also run on the worst Grade One we've seen um, in history. Prior to that, thank um, you, thank you Don- Tony Keenan. So, to, if you want to, if you want to try to bolster the form a little bit, Donna Diamond won this race two years ago on heavy ground, and um, he'd um, he disappointed um, a year ago when the ground was was fairly quick, having been chasing. Um, so it was a slightly strange um, season Donna Diamond had last year. Has gone well fresh in the past, so um, I don't think. I don't think that lets the form down enormously, but it, you know, Donna's Diamond has no, despite having an entry in the stairs hurdle, interestingly, uh, has no real pretensions to being a grade one horse. Um, but uh, rather than pointing out the SP and saying, well, if this 25 to one shot, it was 50 plus on, on Betfair, uh, has finished second, is clearly worthless form. That would be wide at the mark. I think if you knew that Donna's Diamond was was back to his best, um, then that performance was, was very much in keeping with, with what he'd done before. The thing about Emmy Tom, he's always been held in very high regard by, by Warren Um That's always been, been known. The issue with him is that um, his jumping was, was pretty ropey last year. And indeed, on his reappearance, it wasn't so much that you know he ran as if he needed the race. He, he, he ran like his legs were tied together. He's been schooling, like, like many horses, with, with jumping issues. He's been schooling with Henrietta Knight. Um, and as Nikki Henderson was saying yesterday, she doesn't give them back until they're sorted. Um, and he, you know, the as I said, the issue with him has always been that his jumping's been clumsy. He didn't make a mistake at the weekend, um, and therefore he could be an entirely different kettle of fish. I'm not sure. I'd rather have him the entry. I think he's an interesting one for the for the Grade One at entry, um, given that he was placed over the trip last year behind Champ, um, and I think because he's a horse who struggles just to measure his to his measures hurdles, he's been. He's done intensive schooling, um, no doubt in the circular school uh, with Henrietta Knight. Um, and that will stand him in fairly good stead. The one p- issue you would have with that is running a horse like that at Cheltenham where um, the hurdles don't all come regularly, they're not always on the level, um, and you've got to you've got to know how to shorten up and, and how to how to put in a big one when you need to, and that would be a big test of him. Whereas Hayda, where he wasn't going all out on soft ground, um, on a flat track helped him to um, to put his schooling to good use. I'd be a little bit concerned whether he can do that as well at Cheltenham, but entry would be less of a concern, um, just because the the track is similar in nature to to Haydock, um, and if you've learned strictly how to jump properly, uh, then you should be able to put that into into practice at a track like entry. As I said, I just think that Cheltenham is one of those uh, one of those venues where you're. Um, uh, obstacles are often reasonably soon after bends, um, you're jumping uphill and downhill, there aren't many flat parts of the track at Cheltenham um, and therefore it puts an awful lot more emphasis on the ability to jump well uh, and even a horse who's been schooled to cut out mistakes is at a disadvantage, you know he's he's clearly managed to cut out his, his um, errors um, but he still would be a natural jumper for me. So Cheltenham would be worried for me. But at the same time, if you're looking for an alternative to Paisley Park, um, the fact that he's now cut out, seemingly cut out the big problem in his game, he could now take off the way connections have expected him to in the last year
2: amazing the job that henrietta Knight was doing with so many horses. Yeah, she is,
1: yeah. Mean, she, she never should have trained race horses. She, she should have just been schooling for everybody else from day one. Everyone, everyone would have been happy with that, I think.
0: She's the new Yogi Brisner. It used to all be Yogi this and Yogi that, and all we yeah. it's just back from the Yogis, but it's all Hen now. Eh?
1: Yeah, yeah I've actually done a bit of sc- done, done a bit of schooling. I've been there. I, <laughs> have you done had a bit a, of schooling
2: with henrietta I had a
1: share. I had a share in a horse with Hen years ago. And um, she invited us down a, a, a few times to um, to watch horses school. So I actually helped her put poles up um, for for horse, some horses that she was schooling. She's got this um, this circular uh, arena which is everyone tries to copy, and you get lots of people who do it. You, you have you know you have a menage with poles up, and you get horses going round in circles and jumping on you know one obstacle at each at each side. Um, but hands. Um, uh, schooling ring or schooling pen or if you want to call it is just deemed to be absolutely perfect and no one can quite copy it the way she does.
2: Well, to be so fair, she's a massive demand. She's, uh, she's doing brilliantly. She also set the blueprint for best mate, as Rixie pointed out, when everybody was given out to her saying, you should be running this horse in a handicap. Why isn't he running in the Hennessy? And now that's what everybody does with their Gold Cup horses. Um, a, a legend of a trainer, and she's clearly doing brilliant things in terms of getting horses to iron out their issues as well and developing point-to-pointers, breaking them too. Uh, the star, Do you know do- an unlikely unlikely friendship? Tell me. Herself and Gordon
0: Elliott. She often goes over and stays with Gordon Elliott. Really, They're very, very good friends. Yeah, very, very good friends. Well, the a lot that, of time for.
1: Yeah, the, the the fact that um that uh, the love of her life was was Terry Biddlecombe well, it was unlikely enough in the first place, given you know uh, you would call her a schoolmarmish because she was uh, a um a schoolmistress. Um, and you wouldn't have thought that Terry Biddlecombe we would, would have been you know chalk and cheese would have been um for a cup of tea at all, but she absolutely adored Terry as is well documented and I'm not surprised that um that she gets on well with Gordon. she's got no. Uh, she's got surprisingly few airs and graces for someone who's as posh as she is.
2: She's an absolute, she's a, she's a gentlewoman. She's, she She's so nice. And I had the honor of interviewing both Terry and Henrietta down in Cork a few years ago. Good few years back, wow. in, back in 19-dickety-doo. It was the first time I ever did racing interviews. I was, I was supposed to be there as a guest. And the guy who was going to do the interviews didn't turn up. So the producer just said, right, you know a bit about racing. You do the interviews. And I went, what? No, no, no. I said, yeah, go on. Go over there and interview Ruby Walsh. Because I don't have a clue what's going on. And um, all of a sudden, there was RTE microphones and uh, the evening echo and uh, WLRFM and all that all taking my content and, yeah, it was all a bit surreal. That's, that's where it all began. But she was, she was an absolute superstar to interview, and Terry was a gentleman as well. Um, some great stories and did not care about using foul language on national radio. Was happy to just say it as it is. Uh, the Undisputed Star of the Weekend was obviously... Rams the tele. The dream is on, Rory! The dream is on! David Pipe confirms the Albert Bartlett the potato race is next. All I want to know from you, Barry, is what's his current price for the potato race at Cheltenham?
0: You, you're going to persist in calling it the potato race, aren't if, you? If your, sister company. Of
2: sponsors. if your sister company, Paddy Power, are going to give out underpants as trophies literally bronze underpants as trophies at the Christmas meeting at Leopardstown then the least we can do is call the Albert Bartlett for what it is the potato race
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with lucky pants do you?
2: (laughs) Jack Kennedy didn't uh, although things did change then afterwards for him to be fair but anyway proceed they
0: they certainly did No, it was another good performance from another tough performance from him he's he's strung a couple of them together now but I don't know whether he's going to be up to the class at Time Hill and Monkfish, but he's still in there in the bet and he's sticking it out well. He's a 16 to one chance on the sportsbook at the moment. The market just currently suspended on the exchanges as entries come through. So, uh, yeah, 16 on the sportsbook. I, I can't see him winning any race in Cheltenham, but he's been a fine servant to them this year since switching him back over hurls. And and he's, he's made a lot of hay while the ground's been soft.
2: It certainly has. Um, David Pipe did say if it came up soft, uh, they'd really fancy him. But the potato race is next, Rory system is working well. The plan is in place. Have you booked your flights for Dubai already? <laughs> yes. We're not
1: all mad to go to Dubai, of course, but yes, yeah, um if you haven't if you're not um on Ramsey's Titan already. Um, then you're um, you're rather missing the uh, the boat. He is now officially a better horse than Time Hill, by the way. Wow, takes. I don't I, I understand I'm not that because I think he's a better horse than Time Hill. The um, uh, the issue we had when talking about him in the first place was like, does he have the class of Time Hill? Well, Time Hill's rated 150 by the handicapper and Ramses the Taille is now rated 151 over hurdles, which I think matches his chase rating. Um, oh, yeah. But as and,
0: you know that, that novices can make mockeries of those marks.
1: Oh they can, absolutely. And I'm I'm, I'm not um I wouldn't uh, tie him down to that, but just to give a little bit of context, um, in terms of, of where he stands, because he was um when we started banging on about Ramsey's Detail, well you started banging on about him before he was born, Emmet, um, I'd imagine. True. <laughs> um but he's uh yeah, I, I suggested after he won at Doncaster that he was it was remarkable that he was thirty three to one. Uh, for the Albert Bartlett. And he'd go into the Albert Bartlett, but possibly the top-rated horse in the race. Mm. Um, and yeah, if you if you weren't convinced by him before, um I don't know why Haydock would have particularly convinced you, and you're now getting a much, much shorter price. Um, and if you want to pour a little bit of cold water on his his um his attempts uh, to win, he's now had two really hard races. Um, in Grade Two hurdles, on the run up to Cheltenham, obviously he could have run over fences earlier in the day, and this is probably slightly easier. But he goes off so hard in his races um, that you know what he does. Both t- his last two races have panned out exactly the same. He's he's gone off too hard in front, um, based on on um, uh, the speeds they should be doing for for three miles on on testing ground. Something else has cruised up to him with two to jump, looking all over the winner, and then when the pair of them come off the bridle, he's fought harder to win. Um, and he's looked he's looked the better there. Both times, they finish the race slowly, um, you know, uh, comparatively speaking. But that's because of his run style. I just wonder if I'm being at all negative, um, uh, particularly looking at people who, who might want to back him now. Um, there's only so many times a season you can go out and run that way and still retain your form. You know, it's, it's quite destructive. Uh, he's obviously got some... It's got about four weeks between this and Cheltenham. So there's time to freshen them up, um, but you'd be a little bit concerned with a horse who, you know, who's going to the well and running that hard on the run up to Cheltenham. You know, a lot of trainers are very keen to get their horses um, to Presbury Park as fresh as possible. Um, in fairness, the Albert Bartlett has not been that kind of race. It's suited horses with lots of experience, um, and that's a positive. But yeah, just I just want to just you know not not be negative about him, but just put that forward as as a reason why he might end up going to Cheltenham and running below his best form on the day, um, just because he's a twos, two really punishing races in grade twos. And although he's won them both well in the end, we don't know quite what he's taken out of himself. If he can bounce back and, and run to his best again at Cheltenham, then he really is um, a proper grand national candidate
2: you want to make the point that essentially proceed with caution because a couple of horses that Barry mentioned there like Monkfish has looked really really good he blitzed the opposition last time and is clearly clearly held in high regard very same can be said about Tyne Hill. you can look at latest exhibition Um, for some reason the market didn't speak in his favour at the Dublin Racing Festival but he didn't know what price he was and he's ended up winning quite well Uh, and you've also got the big breakaway who's still in there and we're not entirely certain which direction he'll go in although I suspect it'll be uh, the Ballymore but- yeah, there there are plenty of horses
1: who you feel will will step forward at Cheltenham and show show their best form, um, and he's now very much posted what he can do, and that's what they've got to match. Mm. He's now the one who's who's setting the standard. But you know he's been around a fair while. It's unlikely he's actually going to go and produce a better effort um, at Cheltenham on the Friday. But if he runs to his form, he'll he'll go well. Yeah. Um, but as you said, the horses you've mentioned have all got potential to do an awful lot better than they've done
0: so far and it doesn't there's not many horses would get a prep for the Grand National in the Albert Bartlett
2: is there? no no, <laughs> no not many at all but th- there's also the point to make that th- this race is literally a war of attrition as we've seen over the years we've no ad- climate change folks we've no idea what way the, the weather is going to be like um, but he'll be out there grinding it out from the front and it'll take something good to really go past him I, I don't see him folding like a cheap deck chair and going all the way back through the field. I think no. And no, again,
1: you've got this issue about when they press on. You know, he's gone. Uh, I don't mind them going hard early on. The, the idea of sort of kicking on down the hill yeah. is something I always hate to see at Cheltenham because horses who kick down the hill never last home. No. Um, you can go hard from the start and then and then you know put others under pressure and then try to get a breather coming down the hill. But the idea of of um of trying to sprint for five or six furlongs at Cheltenham just it doesn't matter how good you are, you can't last home. So the tactics will be crucial. I think the team have got it wrong um, in the past at Charlton and being slightly Um, over-aggressive. And in fairness, they've done well the last couple of times because they've gone hard from the start and they've allowed others to close on them And then find more at the end. That's fine if he does that at Cheltenham, then that will suit him. But you know, if he if he goes a modest pace and then tries to pick it up from halfway, then I think that will hurt him more
2: than it will hurt a few others. If you've been following Rory and us, Rory and I, in then the dream is alive. The gravy train dream is very much alive, and we'll see you in the Emirates first class first class lounge. Other airlines are available in Dubai for Dubai World Cup night. Uh, In my hometown of Kilkenny. Coran Park, I should say, home city of Kilkenny, of course, obviously, given special dispensation by the European Union to be known as a city. Um, We had uh, the Red Mills trial where Silas Emery, so Silas Emery, I'm sorry, Mike, I'll get the pronunciation right. Silas Emery was sent off a very warm favorite. William Mullins said in his column the night before that if he was to pass this test, then the champion hurdle would come into the reckoning. He passed it relatively in style Uh, Barry you could I suppose question what he's beaten but it's an average champion hurdle and it now seems as though the Mullins camp are quite keen to go there so what impact has he now had on the champion hurdle market
0: yeah well champion hurdle market he's been matched at a high of uh, 29 and he's in now to his last match price was 8 to 1 nice and he's currently 9.2 is just a little over 8 to 1 for uh, Canton Pentland Tail had the market there at seven to two and six to one respectively. The story about this race really—he's done it well at the finish. Like you say, you can't read much into the form. DeRasso was a massive drifter of the day, nine mm. to four on the exchange, 3.25, out to eleven to two six point five. I have never seen the amount of money I've seen on Callum Emery for for he was actually matched at one point six four in the exchange, which is just four to six. And he bet fair SP to 1.25, which is 1 to 4. And to do that takes two things. It takes the second favorite to be absolutely friendless in the market, but it also takes a significant amount of money to go from 4 to 6 on the exchange out to 1 to 4. I think that was mirrored on the in the uh, in the traditional betting market as well. I think he was returned 1 to 4. There was absolute bombs of money for him. And he duly really obliged. What he's beaten, I don't know. It looks like there was nothing else really in the race and... The market would suggest that, uh, whether he's good enough to win a champion hurl. We've got contenders coming out of the woodwork now. He's in there with every chance of Willie Mullins choose to send him. Even maybe a bit of better ground would suit him as well, but uh, yeah, it's a watch and brief for me with him just at the moment.
2: Is it possible, Barry, that Durasso drifted because of the confidence in Silas Emery?
0: That could be part of it, yeah, or just that, or it just wasn't fancied. The market would suggest it just wasn't
1: fancied. He, you you he, need he, both, just, really, don't you, Barry? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, and, and, like it could movement, be a case where the more people were hearing that the rasso wasn't fancy, the more money they were having at yeah. Sidney because it was the only real alternative in a in quite an uncompetitive race. But it was I, I just couldn't get over how much money was going on him from to and to do that from four to six to to fours on. It takes a lot of cash.
2: So we we've talked about this in the past, Barry, about. Big stables and particularly the combination of big stables and big owners having a lot of money on a horse and really moving that horse in a market to a price where no matter what his talent is, he shouldn't he or she should not be going off at that price. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that later on in their campaign, you get to see exactly why it was they fancied that horse so much that day. And the fact that they were backing Silas Emery to the extent that they were, that basically defeat was out of the question, despite reverting from fences to hurdles, would that suggest to you that they are saying to themselves, why are we running for a champion chase when that's going to be really competitive and the champion hurdle is wide open? This fella is a big, big player in that division.
0: Yeah, he looks a big player now off the back of that. Um, Obviously, they put their dough down and they they drew it. Uh, The Rasso though had you know was he going to run in Garum? was he going to run on Sunday in, um, in Navin in the Boyne Earl I don't know what it is with Tarasso he was very disappointing last day uh, when we saw him in Haydock wasn't it mm. That's Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Haydock, yeah. he was really disappointing and obviously the horse has problems because um, he didn't he couldn't he, he didn't run to his, to his if you left out the Haydock run he didn't run anywhere near his form um, that we've seen him and his bet for SP is 6.5 I would suggest that as well but, Um the money came for the winner. It could be that, that that Saturday was the was the champion hurl for the winner. Who knows? But I, I, it wouldn't be a viable alternative for me at this stage in the champion hurl. Although, having said that, I can see him going off even shorter than the eighth of one he is now. But on the day, obviously, we have to know the final makeup. Like It looks like every time the pentland Hales are going to be there. Honey Suck is in the bedding. She's not going to show up. Benny the is in the bedding. She's not going to show up. Uh, You take those two out of it, it leaves you Sharjah in there. Again, another Willie Mullins horse. You think Willie will know, I'm sure they'd have a fair indication how better Silas Emery is than Sharjah or vice
2: versa. Just to get your thoughts on this as well before I go to Rory, given the fact that Rich Ritchie was shouting his head off and telling everybody who'd listened to him that, oh, champion hurdle for
0: Benny. I don't know whether he doing that now. He uh, just posed the question. It was a rhetorical question, wasn't it? He just said, listen, you'd probably have to supplement. Oh, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go champion hurdle. <laughs>
2: he, he was all about it. And uh, Ruby Walsh was asked about that afterwards and was like just shaking his head, being dismissive. So. Like Rich Ritchie can have his say and, and can have his way at times. Tends to be Willie who gets his way. But I just wonder if Willie is looking at the way things are, are playing out. Obviously, it's a shame that Saldier and Classical Dream are not there, uh, that, that they can't run. But does it speak volumes then that Benny Didier will probably now go for the mayor's hurdle and that you've now got Silas Emery, yeah. Emery as, as the actual champion hurdle contender?
0: It looks like Silas Emery is their number one champion contender now at this stage, yeah. When you consider that Sarge is nearly twice as price, Silas Emery is, is the stable number one without a shadow of a doubt.
2: So, bought by Harold Kirk, who has purchased some extremely talented horses for them, uh, including Quivega. What did you make overall of this race, Rory, and how does it shape up for you now? Because Silas Emery has kind of emerged from left field to be a champion hurdle contender.
1: I don't think I don't think there was an awful an awful lot to learn from the race itself. He was getting seven pounds as well from from Durasso, mm. who seemed to be unfancy. And I thought that the race that would have suited Durasso an awful lot better than what we've seen of him would have been the Boyne Hurdle, which looked a more winnable race. Durasso was looked um, on his last few starts as if two and a half miles is more suitable than two. So it's slightly strange that he that he rocked up, but there was no, as Barry says, there was no money for him at all um this this was all about intent. it was It wasn't so much that this was a hugely oppressive performance. This is a horse who's been uh, looking the real deal over fences, and Willie's needed to shuffle in the pack because he's got um, he's got strong candidates uh, for the champion chase and for the Ryanair. Um, and he looked to have the champion hurdle reasonably well tied up. A few months ago, and now um, he's had he's got two um, major contenders who've been favourite at some stage are now ruled out, and he's got another in Sharjah who ran an absolute stinker in the Irish um, Champion Hurdle. So um, you know he he needs to to find one. So the fact that Silas Emery ran here was the interesting story. Uh, We expected him to win. He won as expected. Um, He was uh, written to take the best of the ground in the straight, but had plenty in hand um, over. a couple of talented horses in Durasso and Menkley can but two who don't seem to be going the right way at the moment um, with the possibility that Durasso was just being gradually wound up for um, for spring targets and um, might even might even go the handicap route um come Cheltenham so it wasn't so much the performance that taught us it was the um, it was the fact that you know they were connections were clearly um, resizing um, their their uh, their Cheltenham portfolio uh, and looking to, um, to, you know, to put him on trial for the champion hurdle. He passed what was a very simple test. Um, we know he's got a lot of class and we know that the champion hurdle doesn't look particularly strong. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so he's, he's now starting in uh, where you'd expect him to be. Um, it's still a very hard race to, to really get your head around the champion, isn't it? Um, but given the class that he has and uh, given that we've probably seen um well yeah the the standard over fences over two miles to two and a half miles in the last couple of seasons has been much better than the standard um, of two mile hurdlers so if you've got really talented horses are banging their heads against the brick wall against the very best at two miles um over fences why not when i give them a chance to over hurdles um and that's what um Emery emory is going to do and it makes sense in the in the wider context of the champion that he's third favorite there still might be something to come out of the woodwork in that race but we'll see and I, I don't say that as you know in that i know something it's just you know when when races like the champion um seem to be so open um you sometimes find uh an outstanding performer arriving from left field i was discussing um obviously went to nicky henderson's yesterday discussing how cu then won his first champion hurdle and he was it was a weak race it was a big field but there weren't any any you know it was, it was full of handicappers um and of course uh, a good champion in in gay brief but um you know he was a 16 to 1 shot in the day and he uh, he probably has had a more attractive profile than the most of runners in this year's champion hurdle so the question is with this market what are we missing
2: well you you make an interesting observation here because this came up at the final furlong ascot betfair cheltenham <laughs> preview night where Declan Riggs turned to Paul Nichols OBE and said why don't you have Pictori entered here? And uh, Paul's response was, well, it costs 22500 to enter him in the race. And I said, all right, Rixie, you're now racing manager to Paul Nichols. What do you do? And he said, I would supplement Pictori for the champion hurdle. I'd give it a go. News today that the rescheduled um, king, king hurdle has Pictori included in it. So maybe Paul Nichols... Has been inceptioned by Declan Rix. He's got into his mind, and uh, Rixie has had has had the effect and made him think. Actually, maybe we should go Champion Hurdle with Pictoria. I think. I think.
1: Yeah. After the Beaufort Hurdle, I think Paul Paul said that he he kind of wished he'd had the horse in the Champion, even though he hadn't. He he wasn't shipping like a Champion Hurdle horse earlier in the season. Um, but they they think they've they think they, they find the keys for him now. It took him a while to acclimatise last year, and you you've got to bear in mind you know what what was he running off in the bet for hurdle it was, it was a mark in the high 130s odd. right one, yeah 40 something you know you, we'd like to think we're, we're looking for something nudging 170 in a, in a, a champion hurdle mm. and once you decide that you know if, if you can win a race off 140 and be a real champion hurdle contender there's a lot of horses who haven't been entered for this um who might you know who might show improved form and then i mean You'd have expected to see it by now. The Beffer Hurdle has been traditionally the one where the handicappers can step up, um, but uh, you know, miss it wide open if, uh, if an improving 140-odd horse can, can come into the yeah. He's
0: won, he's won the Beffer Hurdle off 146. The 146 so was it? Okay, one, yeah. Yeah, he's beaten one of Willie's that you know you think would have a couple of pounds in hands the way they punted it. Session so now, who um, was rated 135 His revised rating. He gets 152. That puts him into the picture for a champion hurdle. Um, I spoke for this champion certainly yeah yeah, Yeah. yeah, for this champion I I talked to Paul that day even and the connections in the parade ring after the race it's not the money that's stopping uh, Johnny Delahaye from from supplementing he's not short of it no he's not short of it and especially after winning the the, the, what 80 odd grand 80 or 90 grand that you get for winning the Betfair Hurl so they could spin that up I think he's not he's an owner that's not madly in love with Cheltenham believe it or not yeah. His whole season doesn't revolve around going there. He likes to go to Cheltenham and he enjoys it socially but his season doesn't revolve around his horses being aimed at Pacific Targets at the festival and that's interesting.
1: Because and he does, he does the extremely well at like the, the graded races at the Metropolitan Tracks, Ascot and Sandown um, yeah, and, and Newbury. He, he has lot of the good the races festival.
0: there. Yeah, yeah, and he enjoys that. Now, like I said, he does go socially to Cheltenham and he, and he enjoys having a few beers and that but... He doesn't. The focus of his season, and Paul as well, and it's probably a byproduct of Paul and his constant, you know, desire to to win titles and to retain titles that they don't mind missing out the festival with some of these horses and picking up other pots. Having said that, I think they're mad if they don't uh, supplement him for the Champion hurl. I thought he's he's a horse they thought so much of last year, um, and for whatever reason like I think someone said there earlier it might have just taken a little bit of time to acclimatise and I think that was Paul's feeling on it as well yeah. but the performance that he put up in the Betfair Herald which has been a good trial for novices for obviously for, for the Supreme in recent years obviously this guy isn't a novice he doesn't fit that bracket having come having come over from France and he's well beaten in Pentland and he for last year again I think it was declimatized. He got a fall in France in the, in in November. Then that kind of set them back a bit. His his run behind Thomas Derby was over two and a half miles, and he did travel well that day. And he just blew up turning into the straight. There's yeah, no. He was a bit too fizzy, theory.
2: wasn't
0: he? He was just a bit too fizzy that day in Ascot. Yeah, and to do what he did in in Newbury for me, like he carried eleven stone five. The runner-up was carrying ten stone eight. You'd have to think the runner-up is rated one three five. He's probably a one four five horse. The runner-up really. Um, coming over from Willie, even with the British handicapper having piled on a couple of pounds, he he's definitely has a couple of he had a couple of pounds in hand.
1: Yeah, he's a slightly he's him. a slightly unusual one in that he'd he'd run off one three five um, at Cheltenham, hadn't he?
2: Mm.
1: Um, prior to that, so he actually so he was he was. Unusually, racing off at uh, uh, the same mark it's in Irish Ireland mark. as he would he's in the 1, 3, UK. 8. So yeah,
0: yeah, I see that he's one three eight now. But, then, yeah, but so- you're right that he must,
1: you know, for Willie to send him across um, suggests that Cildonage was was uh, ahead of that one three five mark and um, to to finish where he did in the race suggests that as well.
2: Well, I think interestingly,
0: have- when I was talking to him into the parade ring afterwards, and I was suggesting maybe that that was the route they'd go, with him, a champion hurl route. Johnny Delahaye said, "No, this guy will win an Arco next year." Now, I suppose the 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 dilemma for them now is do they go for a substandard champion hurl and supplement them for it or do they be patient and you know, maybe run him in Aintree or something like that and then put him away for a novice, uh, a novice chasing campaign next year? And I think that Johnny Delahaye is a very patient, man and I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they just sat in their hands now and win Anarko with him next year.
2: He did say, Paul what, and, and brother, just to go back, the, the point that you made earlier on uh, Barry about Willie Soros, Ciel Denege, and the fact that the martinstown mob were having as much on as they as they were moving the market in the way they did means that they clearly feel like there's a big handicap in him which means they clearly feel that they've got a few pounds up their sleeves with him so that would then up the rating of Pictory as well but paul was saying on the ascot final furlong betfair at the races children preview night that he is the proverbial chaser in the making and that they really fancied him at our toy when he took that tumble and it just took a little bit of time to get him back but I'm pretty certain the agreed fee on the night was five grand for Declan Ricks if Pictori <laughs> wins the I'd champion hurdle. I'd say for a tenth of it. Uh, <laughs> oh, he'd did, have did done it for 50 quid, but the agreed fee was five grand, so... Um, that's that's going to be owed if Pick Dory wins to Declan Ricks and it's just fascinating that, that that's the way that played out. Uh, very briefly, gentlemen, the uh, Red Mills chase, the Grade two at Goran Park, went the way of Chris's dream. Uh, pretty disappointing performance from Real Steel who was pulled up in in well, well, really back at, at the back of the telly he was never really in contention. He dropped out a long way from home. Um Two a per m e who looks as though was being lined up for the Pertomps. Uh Debt Judy was being sent off four to one here. Got absolutely thrashed.
1: Uh, in fairness, I thought, I thought he ran an awful lot better than the bare result. The, the, the one thing to bear in mind, particularly with with Sunday's racing um, there, was that um, it, the ground, as it always is at the track was much better on the outside than it was on the inner. real seal went round the inside and held up. And I think if you were able to race handily and towards the outer of the track, you're at a big advantage. Um, and I'd be forgiving of horses who didn't do that and were well
2: beaten on the day. Well, didn't Paul Townend do that on Seal os Didn't he take the Jacques Rucoux route?
1: He did indeed, hug, hugging the rail, yeah. He hugs the rail. As did, Chris, as did Chris's dream, except that um, the one thing about Chris's dream, which, which makes him interesting for the future, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to back him at Cheltenham, is that Rachel took him to the outside at an early stage, but he kept jumping out to his right as well, so that he was getting further away from the She had to keep wrestling him back to the outside rail, where he was getting the best of the ground. And then in the stretch when there was no benefit to, to doing that as much, and he wanted to hang to his right, she allowed him to cross over to the far rail, Um, and he won his race in in good style but the fact that he jumped right throughout that contest um, would be a bit of a worry he's not really done it before and I suppose the potential excuse for that is that she was you know she was always on the left rein to get him to race wide when his natural inclination would have been to you know to, to cut the corners I suppose so that he was fighting against that a little bit and naturally going to his right because of that kind of a wrestling match between between him and her. And in a different situation where you didn't mind which line he took, he would jump straight, which might well be true. But I don't think Henry Bromhead was, was looking to commit him to Cheltenham today when, when he was um spoken to. Yeah,
2: it seems as though it's Chris's dream is going to be more of a Grand National prospect by the look of it. Uh, the Irish National looks, looks made for him, really, on, on, on um, the evidence yeah. I've seen. That's what I would prefer to see him in as yeah. well. But we'll, we'll get Barry's thoughts on Chris's dream. He's eight years of age now. We've seen him twice this season. Uh, he didn't take part at, at Leppertstown um, for the Dublin <laughs> Racing Festival, but he's won a Troy Town, and now he's won a Red Mills chase. So he is more than earning his keep for his connections. Um your reaction to him afterwards and the Betfair exchange reaction to his prospects for the Grand National? Or would you prefer to see him at Ferry House?
0: No, well, he was trimmed for the Gold Cup off the back of that. He was uh, on the exchange. I think he was into about 30 off the back of that win. Like everyone's always crabbing his form away from Navin. So he showed... Interestingly, that he's okay away from Navin, just okay. Shattered Love, I I liked her run. I thought she showed a bit of her old sparkle and first time cheek pieces, uh, albeit getting weighed off the winner. Uh, he's he's not a horse that really I've, I've, I've engaged with much. Chris's Dream, he's obviously when he won that day in uh, in Navin, um, Detroit End's always a good always a good race. Nine to two favored, he was beat Fitzhenry by nine and a half lengths. That wouldn't be Gold Cup form for me, and even beating Shattered Love last day. Uh, over two and a half miles wouldn't be Gold Cup form for me. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Rory. I think the Irish National, something like that, looks uh, looks made for him. I don't know. He'd be he'd be near enough top weight in an Irish National, wouldn't he? He's off one sixty now, so um, he'd uh, he'd want to be going something to win to win an Irish National. But he's he did what he did on Saturday. I don't think I don't think it was a, a vintage renewal at the race. If I'm perfectly honest.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. Um... He actually may very well end up being bet for an Irish national if that was the case. But as you said, Barry, he's going to be near enough top weight in one of those races. Um, Rachel gave him a, a great ride, as did Puppy Power back in in Navan. And you just have to commend Henry de Bromhead and what continues to be a, a fantastic season for him and indeed for, for Rachel as well. Uh, the bumper at Goran Park, uh, that went to Gordon Elliott and Jamie Codd with Queen's Brook. Just the 21-length win uh, for them, although it was the bumper in Navin that we'll talk about a little bit later on that was probably of more significance, really. But the real star at Navin was obviously Tiger Roll. Um, It went to his stable companion, Cracking Smart, who was smart at one point. Davey Russell steering him into the winner's enclosure by four lengths. Penhill back in second by four. Backison and Tiger Roll finishing fifth. What was the reaction for the Grand National market on the back of this, Barry? Magic of Light, of course, runner-up in the Grand National as well last year in contention here too. She was uh, fairly well beaten in the end. Um, A good 15 lengths, 17 lengths off of Tiger Roll. Uh, What was your impression of him? And what's the reaction on the Betfair exchange for the Grand National now for the dual Grand National winner?
0: There was there was no real reaction on the exchange or sports book off the back of the run. He 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 kinda remains the same price. I think he's five to one on the sports book and I said earlier on thirteen to two on the exchange. I thought it was a cracking comeback run from. Um Gordon had been very, very vocal in that he did not have the horse anywhere near the level of fitness that he had the uh, year before when he won the race. he carried his head in his chest all the way around. I think Keith Dunne who even said he thought he was gonna win two out. Let him down on the ground. There wasn't a whole lot there and he just let him roll home. I thought it was a really adequate first time back run, especially carrying that penalty and giving five pounds to the rest of the field. It's strange, isn't it, the way, a strange quirk of fate that, that both Magic of Light and, and Tiger roll, the first and second from last year's Grand National, rock up to Navin on a, on a, on a cold, wet Sunday in February and, uh, and face each other yet again in the uh, over hurdles it's 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 just mad but for me Tiger Roll that was a really really good prep run for him it should leave him spot on I think he's going to bring him over to the cross country this week next couple of days and give him a spin around give him a cider around there again
2: them sails will be on won't they?
0: Yeah usually brings him over on, on the box but they bring some back from there so um, uh, give him a spin around get him home probably a race course gallop then and all the systems go for the cross country which he's Ridiculously short at this stage, but he's about a six to four chance. And then on to Aintree, fingers crossed. But uh, he showed as well being the horse, that's for sure. And it was just great to see the way he traveled throughout the race
2: so six to four on the bet for exchange for the cross country which i think is the best price going i think most firms are even money or, or 11 to 10. Um, oh, hold
0: on let me check that let me check it's, that. It's, we can get
2: six to four I thought
0: he was around that. we
2: can get six to four we'll be doing some business while you're checking that out I'll, I'll go to rory i suppose when we talked about the race on thursday things were a little bit different he was coming into the race in the back of an interrupted prep as well so this was a fine run as barry says
1: it was. I mean, you know, if you just look at the bare result um, and you're expecting a repeat of last year, you might be disappointed. But if you watch the race, um, he would have needed it more. He looked like he needed it more than, than last year. He travelled um, just as kindly for much of the way. It just seemed to blow up um, around the second last and um, and wasn't knocked about from then. Um, I, I, listen, it wasn't a particularly strong race, I don't think. Um, but, you know, grade twos are are often often like that. Um, there's not there's not um, any negatives to read into it. Um, the press were down there today, um, seeing Tiger roll, and um, he seems to come out of the race pretty well uh, by all accounts. that was that was the key thing. We know exactly what ability he has. Uh, we know how good he can be. and he was just just expected to be a little bit rusty because he'd had that uh, that uh, minor injury hold up um and he did everything you would expect him to do and of course the, the most important thing after a race like that is he comes out sound, um which he appears to have done so it's all systems go um with a view to um to the cross country uh it'd be a bit of a treat to be there at the same school over the fences again um but yeah if he if that goes without a hitch you know if there's because sometimes it takes a few days for for Orte, uh, to come out of a race like that to to, to until you know he's really okay um, these little niggles tend to take a few days just to materialise, um, but assuming there's no um, there's no setback there, then um, he looks um, he looks on course for that cross country run and then a return to a entry. Whether you know you can ha- you can take your own view on, on what his chances are in both of those races. Um, on what we saw last year, he's virtually untouchable in cross country, but so we saw Easy's Land come through um, in uh, so November or December but um, looks, looks impressive and he's, he's been impressive again in France since and he's only a youngster, he's only a five-year-old when we saw him so you know he's an, a very very interesting young horse coming through and now runs in JP's colours, so that you know that might make it tougher than than, uh, than last year but he'd be the bike of the meeting for a lot of people once again um, given that's a conditions race and he's shown himself to be a class apart in the past and you know we'd, we'd love to see him take that and head off to entry uh, with the dream still alive for the for the third consecutive national, we don't need to be tipping him up for that here. Uh, we don't need to be hyping him up for that here. He is what he is. We all, we all know exactly what to expect of him and people will decide whether they think he's got too much weight or not, but it's a tremendous story, and he has been since day one, been a great story for racing.
2: He really has, and he's finally been given the green light. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for your kind words to Rory <laughs> after bollocking him for a little bit. And um, thank you. Hello. Thank you for Come seeing Sense. It was a great morning for you. And thank you very much for seeing Sense and, and and confirming him, giving him the green light for the race. Of course, he has to finish the cross country, first of all, before he's actually eligible for the yeah. Grand National. Uh, that price for the cross country? Oh, no, actually, starts- just
1: to clarify, he, he, needs the, he needs to line up for the cross country. Um, I just looked at the, uh, the conditions for that. Um, it, it doesn't say you've got to finish your race. You've just got to run. Uh, over fences so if you, if you cross the starting line then that counts
2: oh that's a sigh of relief then for a lot of people although yeah. hopefully if he runs in the, in the cross country he wins it Barry his price yes, on absolutely. the bet for exchange is
0: his uh, price 2.3 so just a little over 5-4 to 4 at the moment 7-2 to Easyland. it's a
2: bigger price than, than elsewhere to be fair easy's going to be fascinating he won in France you can watch that back on the Atharaces app as all French racing is exclusive on Sky Sports Racing and um, I know that the French correspondent Laurent is a huge fan of that horse and will be on the final furlum podcast. I know I keep saying this, but he will be on the final furlum podcast soon. Very, very tiny word, Rory. Captain CJ delivered the goods in the Ten Up Grade Two Novice Chase. You must have been thrilled.
1: Uh, yeah. Just before I move on to that, I'll just I'll just uh, setting up the the cross country again. Um, for those who haven't seen Easy's Land in action, they like they like to to gun it with him. Um, not necessarily from flag fall, but he was ridden very aggressively when when he won at Cheltenham um, uh, late last year. Um, he I've never seen a horse go for home so early over the um, over the cross country course, and it was a thrill to see that. So that that makes it a really interesting matchup because they don't have contrasting styles. Um, they'll both be out in front, uh, you know, towards the front there, and um, uh, and I think uh, race fans are in for a treat watching that if everything goes according to plan. But yeah, going on to Captain CJ, yeah, was when we talked about this last week, I was like, oh, this is my under the radar Irish national horse and he's going to run a grade two now. That's going to ruin his handicap mark. But to be honest, it's, I mean, it's, it wouldn't have helped enormously in terms of um, of uh, keeping him under the radar. But it wasn't an especially strong looking race on paper. And as we said on the, on the preview, he actually had a, a very, very good chance on paper of winning that based on his form already. Um, he wasn't actually seen to best effect when he was second to Manila Indo on his previous start because he kept to the middle of the track. Um, and he did exactly what um, what he's, he's been threatening to do all season. And he's shown himself to be capable of winning a, uh, a graded novice chase. Not the strongest graded novice you're going to see. I'm not going to um, pretend that he's a Cheltenham candidate on the back of that. But I imagine um, that they've had half an eye on something like um, the Irish National, his first three runs. Over fences all came at fairy height, and I think that might be significant.
2: I think they have. Barry could correct me if I'm wrong on this, and it wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong, and it won't be the last. Uh, that connections have intimated the Irish Grand National, um, and that, that is going to be his target. This was a fairly clear cut victory for him. He's got four with Indo and carefully selected two big players in various novice races at the Cheltenham Festival.
0: I think he got a mark of 142 today as an opening gambit. So, would you be happy with that, Rory?
1: Yes, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, it's not it, it, you're not thrown in off that kind of mark, but it equates you know guarantees you get in the handicap. But it equates to a reasonable weight, um, and this whole season's kind of been gradually building up to it. So I'd be um, I'd be happy enough. Um, yeah. The the issue has always been the price, you know. Is it's, you you you've got a race that you're looking at at the end of the season, and there's there'll be no anti post betting on it until the weights come out, and so that you know one or two people would have noticed it by then. But I say the be.
2: Bally Adam was talked. <laughs> up. They heard it on here anyway.
1: <laughs> indeed
2: yeah oh yeah
1: I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who spots a horse that i really like for racing i'm not going to mention that on the podcast because i'll keep it for myself that's just uh not the way to do things yeah 142 just to, just to uh, confirm that, um barry's uh, right that's his that's his opening mark and that's that's more than more than reasonable
2: jane mangan had talked about Bally adam as being a potentially exciting Bumper horse, um, possibly a a Cheltenham champion bumper type. He'd been entered up. The storms had wreaked havoc and a few races were cancelled. He was then subsequently written about by, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but I believe it was uh, a time form point-to-point expert who talked about the sectionals that he clocked and how impressive he was. Sent off long odds on favourite in Navin. I mean, he's not thrashed, but he is beaten on, on debut. He had a lot of ground to make up. Presumably, he's a horse, Barry, that they'll be looking forward to next year. There's still a lot to be excited about. Just because he's been beaten here it doesn't preclude him from being from being a Grade One class horse in the future.
0: Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? I think when Gordon <laughs> trained the winner of the bumper in um, Garin on Sunday, he kind of I think he said to someone, "Oh, we've got a better one than that at home. It we'll runs tomorrow in Ballyadam, and it, you know, it went off at one to four. Hard to believe, but he did say actually he was talking to Gary O'Brien before the race." Or after, uh, I think, after one of his horses won on Sunday. And he did say, listen, he's a lovely horse. We really like him. But he's got to go out and do it on that ground. Traveled sweet throughout. Just couldn't, just didn't get home on the ground, I don't think. It, it's amazing because he's been traded at a low of 5-1 to one on the exchange. He's traded at a high of around the 50 mark. And there's been all sorts of money done in between. I mean, we've fifty 57 grand, 1,000 euros matched on the, on the champion bumper on the exchange so far and six grand of that has been matched on Bally Adam so obviously a horse with a big reputation whether he takes the bumper in there or not I don't know I didn't read anything and I didn't hear anything about it but um, I don't know do you think Rory they'll take the champion bumper in with him there?
1: It's it's hard to tell I, I looked at the betting after that and he's not I thought you know there might have been an overreaction to that and he might have drifted out to, to a bigish price um, they don't really have there's a balancing system for the champion bumper um, and you'd imagine he'd, he wouldn't get in um, if it was oversubscribed that's a slight issue so they might want to run him again would you Would you run him again this quickly before that wouldn't has to be a question. his MO no it wouldn't that really be,
0: that wouldn't be his MO he usually leaves at three weeks between
1: runs yeah exactly so he's basically you know He's he'll probably just have to take his chance, and either decide that he won't take him to Cheltenham because it comes too quickly after, after that reversal, or he'll he'll wait and see if the, if the handicapper decides to to allot him a, a generous mark, or indeed the, the race isn't oversubscribed and there's no issue in terms of, of handicapping. It's a very odd system in that um, no one ever looks at at handicaps, handicap marks in bumpers, but it's the one race of the year where the handicapper has to look at the form and come up with these marks to form a ballot. Um, and if you've been beaten then you're only bumper to do it you're going to struggle to actually make the cut for something like Cheltenham.
0: it's interesting the owners also have Fernie Hollow now I know he's been wildly disappointing in his two runs to date in that he's been beaten odds on twice but uh, that's another Chivley Park so yeah, yeah it might yeah. sway their decision as well
1: yeah, yeah. and indeed they both, both probably got big futures um, it's yeah. just a case that things haven't worked out for them you know just in this particular window and it might be uh, the best thing to do with them is just give them more of a chance next season
2: that's what i would be thinking is that you know particularly Fernie hollow who looked green as grass on debut and uh joseph thinks an awful lot of the horse who beat him at christmas time so like there's there's nothing to preclude belly adam and uh Fernie hollow from having bright futures over obstacles just maybe not necessarily in in bumpers but I'd... yeah there's plenty of trainers
1: who don't really believe in going the bumper route um, nicky henderson for example be you down know, there. My smores doesn't do it. I mean, Nicky a couple of years ago decided he was going to run two or three in the bumper, um, and then you know changed his mind again after that, thinking it's it's not it doesn't suit his um, his method of training horses. Yeah. Um, to get you know to get them ready for a race as as tough as the as the champion bumper. He doesn't mind running on bumpers, but he believes in giving them a really um, positive education so they're winning the bumper and then they're being put away. Um, to to um, go novice hurting the following season. And you have to ask yourself a question whether what you think is going to be top class down the line, whether getting beaten badly in a champion bumper at Cheltenham is going to be beneficial for their future or not.
2: There is a lot of content uh, regarding Gordon Elliott's stable tour. I believe, I, I'm assuming that the Betfair uh, Gordon Elliott column will be red hot uh, after today, Barry.
0: In terms of where we down there generating content today, along with the UK and Irish journalists, yeah. no.
2: Ah, okay.
0: But no, so we, we will have done our stuff, uh, or we'll do our stuff for Cheltenham with Gordon. Obviously, each day, we've got uh, content from Gordon, so you can read his thoughts exclusively on betting.betfair on the eve of each uh, I think from four o'clock the the previous day for Cheltenham, and then we'll have video content with him as well throughout the week and on the on the weeks leading up to the festival.
2: Can I ask you a favor? You certainly can. Can you get him on the podcast for us? You can ask him. <laughs> I like, the way, I like the way you deflected that. I like the way you deflected that. Uh, we'll try and get them on. Listen,
0: you know what these trainers are like. As they get closer and closer to the festival, they get pricklier and pricklier. Um, so I wouldn't be going to the well too often there, if I'm being brutally honest.
2: He's a he's a decent guy, to be fair. So we'll we'll try and get him on. Ah,
0: yeah, he's a good lad, and he's and they're very given of, of their time at this time of year. Yeah. He does a lot of charity at uh, Cheltenham previews and that, especially in and around the mid area So, uh, yeah, his time is is pretty full, and then he's got all the the headaches of looking out from the at the boxes through uh, through broken fingers to see. Is everything pulling out okay, or is anything lame? So yeah, it's quite a trying time for the mic, uh, as you can imagine.
2: Big time. Uh, we have some very good guests lined up, but uh, we'll, we'll keep that sh- we'll keep that under wraps for now. But we'll try and add Gordon to the list. Uh, and understandable, of course, if he can't quite do it. We do have an alternative to Gordon which would work out quite nicely. But anyway, uh, Gordon did announce today, and it was being speculated for quite some time, who's going to ride Delta Work. Would it be Davey Russell? Could he be persuaded to get off presenting Percy? Could it be Rachel Blackmore? Mark Walsh. Mark Walsh comes in for the ride on Delta Work. Plum ride, I would say. And he said, uh, Gordon said that he would not swap him for any other horse in the race and that he is built for the gold cup which is music to my ears because I think he wins it so uh, you can read all of that at the cheltenham.attheraces.com site Uh, they've got some fantastic content um, at the races the guide to Cheltenham is loaded full of content uh, including Henry de Bromhead now in no rush to decide where to go now, they're they're reconsidering the Champion Hurdle or the Mayor's Hurdle for the unbeaten six-year-old, possibly because of Benny Didier, as we talked about. That's, uh, in fairness, that,
1: that's that's pretty much what he said at the time. This is just how this is just how how work. Yes. Uh, the trainer says something. It wasn't even him who said it. I think it was um, was it Peter Mahoney who said it um, that they were they were um, inclined towards the Mayor's Hurdle, but he didn't rule anything out no uh, and it didn 't come didn 't come from, from owner or trainer specifically um, but unfortunately when when someone says you know uh, it 's fifty one fifty in favor fifty one forty nine in favor of x then the headline isn 't trainer undecided is it it 's always x is the plan and you know that's, that's just how that 's just how the headlines work. Uh,
2: which is unfortunate. Uh, Simon Rowlands has been doing some sterling work, and that's another man that we need to get on the podcast soon as well. He has gone through the sectional times for the Ryanair Chase, the Novice Hurdlers, the Novice Chasers, uh, the Stairs Hurdle, the Queen Mother Champion Chase, and the Champion Hurdle as well. All of that is available for you to read for free at cheltenham.attheraces.com. There is some absolutely gold content there, including the Betfair Final Furlong podcast at the races, Ascot, Cheltenham Preview Night with Paul Nichols. You can either watch it uh, from the Ascot page on Facebook or you can listen to it as a bonus podcast as well. Uh, Your biggest takeaway from the weekend, Barry Orr?
0: Biggest takeaway from the weekend? Uh, I suppose for me, it has to be Sporting John. I I was so impressed with him, the way he travelled, the way he jumped out of the ground, especially at the last when he needed a decent leap and he just spring-heeled. Uh, I was just really impressed with how he uh, went about his business and how he carried himself. And he's, uh, he's a horse with a very bright future. In fact, I have to say, I don't think I've been excited going to a Cheltenham Festival ever to see the novice races that we're going to see this year. The Supreme, the Ballymore, and the Albert Bartlett. I think there's some real stars in there. And I think, fingers crossed, if they all stay sound, we're going to have some very, very good horses to see over the next number of years that will come out of those three races.
2: Well, you've opened the door, so now I have to ask you. Give me the Barry Orr treble, either patent patent, treble or the roll-up accumulator on the Betfair Exchange. Who would you you. you be liking? Ask me. Who would you ask
0: be- me on the Monday? Oh, the mo- <laughs> on the Monday, Party all right. Festival. I'm not one for booking stargazing. I have like that, I have no. dates
2: to send you, by the way, for the Cheltenham previews. It's a day by day previews that we're doing, so uh, brace yourself for those ones, Barry. Uh, Rory, your takeaway from the weekend?
1: Um, Sporting John is very tempting, and has to be said. And, and I'd um, uh, I'd reserve judgment on him until the weekend, but he was impressive. But I'll um, I'll put up Copperhead instead. Um, who also impressed in, in in different style. And you can make excuses for one or two behind there, but I thought he ran an, an excellent trial um, specifically uh, for the three and three quarter miler.
2: <laughs> I do like, Mark Oglin has listened to the podcast since day one. And his, his, his handle on Twitter
1: used to be Save the Four Miler. Yes, yeah.
2: and would you like to tell everybody what his, ha- what his handle is now?
1: It's, now? it's now Save the Three and Three Quarter Miler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's Jesus. not just going to it's not going
2: to just be national hunt chase. No, 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 no. He's he's uh, he's adapting, adapting or dying. But uh, I think he's he's extremely annoyed about that. Uh, my takeaway is obviously Rams the Ramsdetale. He's going to win the potato race. Can't wait for it. We're back with you on Thursday as we preview the weekend's racing. Barry, fantastic to have you back on the show. Um, hopefully, Glad. always a pleasure. Hopefully, you enjoyed ask my friend, and you're not too drenched after it either because it was cold and it was wet, but. We were toasty warm inside. So hopefully you enjoyed the day.
0: (laughs) I certainly did. I always do. And looking forward to more of them. Please God, many years to come.
2: Please God, well said. Uh, Rory, thank you so much again for your company, my friend. Looking forward to having you on again soon. Thank you,
1: guys. My pleasure.
2: And thank you for all the kind words about our final furlong podcast, Betfair Ascot at the races Cheltenham Preview. I'm trying to get everybody's name in. Uh, Mark and Lulu from Ascot were absolutely brilliant. Uh, you do not have any idea the amount of work that Jess put in to building up that preview night and the team at Ascot and the, te- the entire team at Betfair, the team at ATR as well. Uh, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes, so much logistics that goes on. And f- to have that storm and to have as many people turn up capacity crowd was unbelievable. So it was brilliant to meet. So many Final Furlong Podcast listeners, particularly the likes of James Edwards, who's been listening since day one, uh, Paul Roos, Tony Deacon and the crew, Ivor, uh, Rob. It was brilliant to meet all of you. And um, I'm I'm leaving names out. There were guys who flew over from Tipperary. They said they're not going to go to Cheltenham this year. They decided to come to Ascot for the Final Furlong Cheltenham preview instead and experience ascot that's hardcore that is hardcore thank you very much lads hope you enjoyed it and hopefully there's some goals there as well you can listen back to the podcast or watch it on the betfair ascot and at the races channels uh, from me emma kennedy thank you so so much for listening and for all the kind words we'll chat to you again soon god bless will
1: it happen or won't it happen you can bet on it with the betfair exchange proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast
2: have you downloaded the free at the races app yet with easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.